Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 949 with Fars Kargar. I think the first part was the joy and happiness of actual process of cooking mm-hmm. and accomplishing something that made other people happy. Yeah. The best thing is like when they put that spoon in their mouth and it just the face changes. Yes. That's when your heart just warms up. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Looking to make your life easier? Then Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag and drop scheduling, in app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a lot easier. In fact, I haven't come across a restaurant tour using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Restaurant Unstoppable listeners get three months absolutely free get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s h i f t s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using seven shifts today This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit. Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. Today's episode is brought to you by Pop Menu, and restaurants have been hit hard over the past last years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like... Can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest owner of Del Bar and BB Fars Cargar. Fars, are you feeling unstoppable today? 
Fantastic. Uh, Thank you for asking. Oh, of course, man. I'm super excited for your, your story. You have a really inspirational story. You you came to America when you're like 18 years old. You were in Iran, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was in Iran. I Refugee? Yeah. Uh, you came here with no experience. You're working at a grocery store, I think. You went to a yeah. restaurant. You're like, can I work here? And they were like, come in and what? Like, exactly. Uh, here we are like 10 years later or something like that? How we long were like was it? around 14 years 14 now. years later? I think so. You're, yeah. You got two, well, one restaurant Del Bar that is about to open in two other locations around Atlanta and your fast casual opening BB all around the same time, man, your head must be spinning right now and you're still finding time to be a guest (laughs) at a restaurant unstoppable. I cannot wait to get into it, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So mine is always these two shall pass. This two shall pass or these two shall pass. What? What's going on there? How does that resonate? That's my go-to because I mean, restaurant business, as you, I'm sure you know it, has ups and downs. Yeah. Can go from uh, butterflies to rainbows, and next thing you know, rain and thunderstorm coming down. And when it rains, it pours. Everybody knows that. So my go-to is always how to keep myself happy yeah. and motivated. Yeah, you remind me of a uh, one of my my earliest favorite guests, uh, Dushin from uh, Employee Owned, I think, or I think Employees. Only I can't remember the name of the bar, but it's in New yeah, York City. Employees only, employees only. Yeah, yeah. Dushin, Dushin, I think I'm good. saying his name correctly. Yeah. Uh, the cocktail bar, yeah. and uh, his quote was, "It's like this, you know." And I, I hear that in your quote: "This too shall pass." Like we don't have control over the universe. Nothing. We try to control it like as hard as we can as restaurateurs, but the truth is, we have no control over it. And sometimes it's better just to accept that it's like this right now. It is like this now, and it will pass. Right? What's going 100%. through your mind as I'm sharing this? I think about every day in the restaurant business when things break down, everybody's frustrated, and it's just this is how it is. This is our business. When would you tell yourself this? Give me an example of something that comes up where you're like, "This tool will pass." Ooh, so let's say uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of little a lot of little ones. So I was one of the restaurants we were trying to open. We were actually supposed to have it open by now, and next thing you know, everything falls from permitting to construction. It's one of the Del Bar restaurants. Yeah, 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 everything gets delayed, and we already had people hired up to go and open it. Well, so. that's rough. Because you know, how it gets. you get your people; they're not easy to hang on to. For oh, like, they gotta make money. Yeah, know? exactly. Especially yeah. Uh, when it comes to cash flow, being a small startup, and that's just the quote I always think to. And the funny part is, like every time something like that happens, I call my partner, and my partner is a silent partner; he doesn't really do anything with operations. Those are good but, partners to have. Oh, he's perfect. He doesn't <laughs> yeah. interfere with anything I do, yeah. but he's always very optimistic. Yeah. And yeah. he's always like, oh, it happens. You'll, you'll get over it. doesn't we, matter. We, we create so much anxiety, and it's human nature to fixate and to contri- and like worry. 100%. But it's not, it's, what's, what's worrying going to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Worrying doesn't really nothing besides white hair and stress. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got white hair coming out of my chest it. right yeah. now. I think I might I need to take your advice a little more it. seriously. <laughs> All right, so where does it make sense to start telling your story? Because you didn't always know that you wanted to be a restaurateur, did you? That came later in life, right? That came later enough. That was basically when I started working in a restaurant for the first time. Yeah. And I had no clue what it was going to entail. But you have always loved bringing people together and using food as a vehicle to do that. Where did that start for you? Honestly, as an Iranian, hospitality, I feel like it's in our genes. Yeah. Why is that? It's weird. So it's like even if you go to visit Iran or watch anybody like Anthony Bourdain's trips in Iran, they teach you about hospitality. If the moment you walk in through a door, somebody hands you a tea, sits you down, the first person to eat is always the guest of honor. It's like I'm 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 hesitant. Sorry, finish your no, train go of ahead, go ahead. I'm hesitant to share this, but like what you're sharing, like I, I wanna create a documentary. 
where I travel the country and I study hospitality, but what hospitality means across the globe to different people and how they show that. Mm -hmm. And for the restaurant industry, for people who are studying hospitality, like what is like, because we can show it in so many different ways. And I'm sorry that I, I probably could have sat on that a little bit longer, but I got excited because this is my field research. (laughs) So, so tell me more about Iranian hospitality and what the hospitality means to an Iranian. So hospitality to Iranian is like, so growing up as a kid, right? When you have a gathering at the house, obviously the best meal is cooked for the guests. Yeah. The best fruit goes to the guests. So when you buy fruits or when you buy anything, the best one is always reserved for when you have guests over. Yeah. That's like big part of Persian hospitality. Is, is that, you, is that, that's universal throughout Persian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is universal through yeah. Persian. Like yeah. everything goes to the guests, guest of honor. Like even the way we came up with the concept of doing crispy rice for our rices at Del Bar. Was because throughout the culture and growing up, the crispy rice was the was the delicacy portion of the rice that was always reserved for elderly or guests of honor. Yeah. So we just wanted to bring that hospitality to everyone. And me, as growing up as a kid, I, I my mom and dad always worked. My dad was always remote, working in different states or different cities in Iran. My mom always worked. She used to design dresses for people, so you always worked. So I was. All mainly up to me and my aunts and grandma, people that I basically grew up with, to feed my little sister and my older brother. Mm. My older brother did not know how to cook anything. <laughs> he still doesn't. <laughs> he still, we still make fun of it. But that's where my love for cooking grew. Like I used, I spend most of my time as a child in kitchens or in restaurants. What's your favorite memory of your mom or your grandma and food and hospitality? My favorite memory is when I used to go to my grandma's village during the summertime. So I was a big fan of always going places and I never had to have my parents. So I was like 10 or 11 years old. My parents would put me in a bus. I would take off in Birjan where my grandma lives and go to the village. And my favorite thing was hitting the farms. They had farms where they had like grapes growing or, or like peaches growing. And I used to always go and Harvest with them. We would harvest for fun. It wasn't necessarily to sell. Was that your favorite part about the farm? Was the harvesting, going to harvest? Not necessarily. My favorite part was eating the fruits. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and the byproducts. Yeah. Because my grandma always had fresh mozzarella in the mm. fridge. She always had like peaches and like uh, pears and stuff drying up on the rooftop. What was your favorite food associated with your grandmother to eat? Ooh. I think it's Jesus. Jesus, the mozzarella. Cheese was so, so good. Yeah. It's like I used to, as soon as everybody would sleep, so back home is everybody takes a nap. Yeah. Like between two and four, most of the time people are taking a nap. And that was my time to go hit the fridge. Mm, nice. <laughs> and before they knew it, everything would be gone. But you weren't taking the best stuff. You were saving that for the guests, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so in that case, I was definitely yeah. eating everything. Yeah. But you were her guest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the best. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, um, so um, at this point, like, are you starting to dabble with food, cook food? What, what, like, what is it? Your no, no, no. This was, a, this was when I was probably still 10 or okay. 11. Gotcha. When I really got into actually cooking food, like cooking food for people. It's probably when I was 12, 13. Uh, 12 and 13 was when I was going actually to grocery stores, grabbing ingredients, cooking things, and inviting people over to my house without my parents even knowing. Okay. So we tried to always get them to throw a party so I could cook a course. Yeah. What was, was your like, favorite part? like, throw this party so I can do lasagna. Throw yeah. this so I can make this pizza. Yeah. What was your favorite part about cooking for people? I think the first part was the joy and happiness of actual process of cooking. Mm-hmm. And accomplishing something that made other people happy. Yeah. The best thing is like when they put that 
spoon in their mouth and it just the face changes. Yes. That's when your heart just warms up. Yeah, man. You, you kind of remind me of myself when I was younger. My parents owned a restaurant, uh, but we were always throwing parties. We were always, we used to call them Catchapalooza. We'd have these, my last name is Catchatory, so the Catchapalooza. And we'd always, for me, like I used to think that I, I was passionate about the food and I still love food. I love cooking food, but for me, it's the, it's the it's the bringing people together and using food as a tool to do that and then getting the approval and exactly. i sound so cheesy like who well you need other people's approval fuck yeah i need other people's <laughs> approval everybody feels does so it good. Yeah. everybody needs it in some yeah. way of shape or form for sure yeah uh so what would, like so is this how you got hooked you think is that what it was that's mainly how i got hooked to food i mean one is eating i just love eating yes yeah. that's one thing obviously um <laughs> <laughs> but the other part was like cooking and bring people together that was my thing like even even here, like when I was working in a restaurant as a GM or my, what I did in my off days was going to grocery stores, buying a bunch of different ingredients and calling people last minute because I started cooking and now I have like food for 20, 30 people randomly. Yeah. So is this back in Iran or is this when you're saying? It's back over here, actually. Okay. So yeah. how did you find yourself here? Ooh, very good question. So <laughs> this is a... This is a story that not everybody knows. So yeah. this is when I give my uh, my guests a heads up. I'm going to ask personal questions. <laughs> yeah, now you're, you're good. Now you're good. We can learn. Here. So growing up in Iran, um, I was a straight A student up until I think was probably tenth grade. Back in college, tenth grade in high school. Sorry, tenth grade in high school. Then. Um, then one year I started hanging out. I started becoming very outgoing. I was just partying too much. I was always You're cooking out. for too many people. Cooking for too many people. <laughs> always out in restaurants. Always going out yeah. with my friends to eat. And I started failing a lot of classes. Like the same classes I used to be, like a part-time teacher, kind of teaching all the other people. I started failing them. Mm. And at the time I was working at my uh, cousin's. Um, paint shop he had a paint shop he opened a new location of paint shop and he asked me to go there during summer and just take care of the paint shop and the paint shop i uh, used to used to have a mezzanine upstairs and i had a little gas stove upstairs what is a mezzanine i don't know if that's a, a mezzanine is kind of like your next floor up but it's not really a floor up because they always have low ceilings very yeah. smaller and this was a paint shop, so he just had a little bit of a space up there. Okay, like a storage space? Yeah, kind of a storage space. And I'd taken a little um, propane kind of a stove top with me over there. Yeah. And my favorite thing was inviting my friends over to the paint shop, <laughs> paint shop because I was the only one there, and cooking food. It was just somebody would grab eggs, somebody would grab sausage, we would make omelets, we would make uh, food throughout. And it was, just, it was my part of... Uh, Became kind of entertainment part of my life mm-hmm. as I was working at this store. And I failed a lot of classes that year. I failed a lot of classes. I was going to private school, kind of a private school. And so you're like 16 years old, 10th grade, I'm assuming 16, 15, yeah, yeah, 16, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 10 or 11 years yeah. old, I remember. 10 or 11, sorry. Great. Yeah, great. Yeah. Then, uh, <laughs> then I started failing a lot of classes and. Was Next it just year, cooking or was, were there other things happening too? Like I was always at the video game stores. Okay. Playing video games. But no drugs or alcohol? Or no, like no that. drugs or alcohol at this, that point. Not at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and I was uh, just having a good time. I just become very social, hanging out with a lot of kids that I thought I was cool and stuff. Yeah. And um, I just stopped paying attention to school. Then uh, next thing he knows, everything leads up to basically my dad having a serious talk with me and being like, hey, your uncle 
is going to Turkey to become a refugee to go to U.S., you should go with him. And this was more like a one-way ticket that you will go with. So your uncle is how old? My uncle was, uh, he's older than my dad, so it's probably like 60s. Okay. At the time, it was in like 50s. But he was uh, leaving Iran to migrate to U.S. So what was it about his situation where he needed to be a refugee? Uh, nothing. So in order from, for you to come from Iran to U.S., especially for us, that we were a minority, we were Baha'is. So uh, we're not allowed to go to college in Iran or a lot of jobs we're not allowed to have. Okay. And there's a lot of boundaries that the society doesn't really accept us. Wait, what is it about you when you say us? What do you mean by us? Oh, the religion. We're a minority oh. religion. Okay, yeah. I gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So I grew up as a minority religion, which in Iran you're not allowed to go to college for. It. Got it. Uh, you're not allowed to go to college. You're not allowed to have public jobs, doctor, engineer, all those things. Uh, we're not allowed to have. Okay. We're not allowed to be part of that society. So is this, mo- so I know your painter, your dad was in construction, and I know mm-hmm. a lot of Iranians. I, I'm, this is all from no, the, yeah, go, go the Eater article that I read. Yeah. And I think you mentioned to them that most people try to become doctors or lawyers oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But because of your religion, that wouldn't that wasn't the uh, uh, wasn't on the table for you. That was not on the table for me, but also at the time I was such a bad kid in school that yeah. my dad was kind of like, you should go to U.S. and you should learn how to grow up on your own. Okay. It was more like uh, you should leave. Yeah, like you need to get kicked out of the nest. <laughs> you need to get kicked out, basically. Yeah. Uh, basically also. Because in our, again, in our minority, we're with each other so much that yeah. just also, I was a bad kid. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I was a bad kid. <laughs> uh, so I ended up coming, going to Turkey and I lived in uh, Antal- sorry, uh, Kayseri for a year. Until I came to U.S. Does it take a year to get the, for the process? Yeah, the lot. process took a year. And that was actually good. Now it takes anywhere from two to three. There's a lot of like FBI background checks and stuff that you have to go through um, to get here. That's when I started getting to like Turkish food. Okay. So I started cooking some Turkish food and started fall in love even more with the food. But food to me was never a profession. It was never a career at that point because I was still pretty young and naive. I'd never come to U.S. to see it as sort of a career, right? That that kind of sparkled in my head when I got to U.S. Um, I got to U.S. and I was leaving before the... Actually, the main reason I left was because of the military. Once you turn 18, you have to go to military for two years. Yeah. And it's a mandatory military now, period. because of your beliefs... Were you limited for what you could do in the military too? No. So for my belief, you were actually bullied and take advantage of in the military. Oh, well, yeah. So that was one of the, that's probably my, where my dad's thought process was. Yeah. My thought process was like, I'm probably screwing up in the school and my dad wants me to <laughs> go and get on my own. Get out of here before they, they get you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's one of those things. What do you uh, mean by bully taking advantage of? What kind of things happen? So when you go to the military, uh, a lot of bad things could happen to you. Yeah, like hazing, things like that. Yeah, it was just, just a lot of insanity stuff. It's like, again, so you're, you're a minority in Iran. Things are very different, especially right now with all the stuff that are happening in Iran. It's just insane. Um, you were taking advantage of any part, any ways possible. Yeah, I mean, I know America's not perfect. Right, yeah. we have things we can work on. We could oh, yeah. be, we could be better. But I think it's also really important for people to get some. That's why I'm pulling back so many layers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know you want to get a perspective? Perspective, like you know, we could absolutely be better, more inclusive um, in this country for sure. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, man, we forget 
how lucky we are to have certain freedoms. 100%. Like freedom of speech, freedom oh, of yeah. religion. Oh, like yeah. These are things that we just don't even like recognize as privilege. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like We're so privileged. Anyone in this country has that privilege relative to other places where you're so restricted on things that are so personal. Like, what do I believe? You know what I mean? Like, no, 100%. I, so, I, I agree yeah, with you 100%. Yeah. This is a, this is a part that even me as living here for like 10, 12, 13, 14 years, then I look at, look back at the media and the news and what's happening back home. Like, holy shit, these things were actually, we weren't allowed to do these things. Now I looked into it. It was like, okay, I couldn't go out wearing shorts. I couldn't go out holding a girl's hand. I couldn't go out with the girls showing their hair. I couldn't ever say this in public or sing in public or dance in public or not even worse, being minority, you couldn't go to college. You couldn't have a store. Yeah, like they th- knew you had a store. They would come and shut you down. We don't even think of religion in this country as minority. No, not you at all. I mean, like yeah. that's not even on the spectrum of like who cares what you believe. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. But in a lot of countries, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's huge, right? Because yeah. a lot of time, the like the whole the entire government is run being run based off of religion, mm. which is never a good thing. But yeah, <laughs> but a lot of times it does happen. Um, so you you. You're a refugee. You you get you, go, you make it through the process. A year later, you 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 leave Turkey, um, previously in Iran, and you find yourself in the United States. Exactly. So and I, and I didn't have as hard of a time as a lot of people do because I had some family here. So I actually had an aunt that I she had left Iran a long time ago, and a lot of family that I had here were families that I never grew up with. So it wasn't very comfortable, obviously. But I lived in my aunt's basement. And I was uh, going back to high school because I never finished high school due to that mandatory army that I had to go to and flew in the country. So I'm going to high school. I'm getting a part-time job at Kroger as a bagger and cashier. And I used to walk to work. One day I go to pick up my paycheck and I see this. I was very tired of bagging food for people, let's just say. (laughs) There's only only so much of that you can do. I've been there. I hear you. Yeah. and one day I'm picking up my paycheck and I see this now hiring sign in front of a restaurant. I'm like, okay, I mean, I love food. Uh, let's go see how it goes. And my English was very, very broken up back then. Um, I was also one of those kids that thought I would never go to U.S. So why do I need to study English? Yeah. It's one of those things. But I pop in there and actually uh, their general manager, my friend at the time, Polo Castro and John, uh, John Solis were the executive chef of the restaurant. They were, it was before their opening. So Say those names one more time. Uh, Polo Castro he, and John Soilus. Okay. Yeah. These two actually just opened a restaurant together. Opened a steakhouse last week that I went to their soft opening. And it was like a family reunion. I saw oh, a lot awesome. of faces that I already knew. <laughs> the, was it John? What was the second? Uh, my soul, sorry. Uh, John Soilus. Soilus. And yeah. what was the, the je- second gentleman? Polo Castro. Polo. Got yeah. It. So this is your first kind of like impression of the restaurant industry. oh yeah the yeah. first ever i mean i had no clue and i met some of my favorite and some people that i call them cousin now because we're so close of a friend so what kind of restaurant was this it was the italian restaurant okay it was the italian restaurant opening duluth and i went in there they gave me an application i filled it out they hired me i had no idea why and they took gotola say be here this date this time and i show up that date and time and we're kind of in a lineup kind of scenario standing next to each other and one of the friends of me that is actually a good friend now his name is Alberto he asked me what position were you hired for I was like I don't know 
I couldn't even remember a name they used, like server assistant or buster. I couldn't even remember it. Yeah. Um, so we start working. <laughs> we start working. And I remember uh, first night, soft opening night. It, this is where all the passion basically came on. Like I was, I was in U.S. I was going to high school. I was trying to go to Georgia Tech to study architecture. And then from there, go to interior design. And that was my passion because my dad was... Um, an architect and uh, he was a contractor who built homes so that's familiar yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. like from being a little kid I used to grab his blueprints and sketch him and write them and my dad would give my brother and I like little projects of hey how do you feel we should build a house in this space so we would just sketch things so sketching and doing those kind of things was always a goal and one of my dream always was to learn that and do a family business with my dad and my brother. I bet this is serving you well today, especially in this scenario we're sitting in. Oh, right it's now. fantastic! <laughs> it's actually my favorite part of a job. Is yeah, this? Yeah, and yeah. And to paint the picture for the listeners, if you don't, if you're not watching the video, you should be subscribing to our YouTube <laughs> channel, by the way, because there is video. We're sitting in your newest location, BB, which is a fast casual in the Ponce City Market. Um, so anyway, but you're you haven't opened yet. Like they're we surrounded yet, yeah. by like ladders and yeah, uh, construction zone right zone. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're designing restaurants and using the skill that you grew up with. Oh, 100 percent. Yes. So take it from there. Sorry. To, to really so where were we? Yeah. So I was been in that restaurant, got a job. Uh, first day we show soft up. Soft opening. Yeah. Soft opening yeah. night, right? First day we show up. You know, we started actually going to training, and I still didn't know what my job duties <laughs> were yeah. because I've never worked in a restaurant, and it was very hard to communicate. There were a lot of funny things that happened the first night. And so, first night that I was a server assistant, the server that I was the assistant too, her name is Gigi, who is now married for a long time to the same general manager, Polo Castro. Okay. And Gigi's Turkish. Okay. And Gigi's obviously very seasoned steakhouse kind of waiter. And I'm working with her and her back waiter, and she's constantly asking me for things that I had no clue what they were. Like some, some of the most basic stuff was like, imagine. Give an example. Oh, examples are very funny. So somebody asked me for, uh, somebody spilled something on their shirt, I remember. Then they asked me for soda water. I didn't understand what they said. There was a guy I used to work with, his name was John. And I used to always go to John and repeat back what I heard so John would tell me what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I didn't understand everybody needs it. A John. Yeah, everybody needs a John, right? <laughs> yeah. So I go back to John, I was like, they said this. John is like, go ask them again because I don't get what you're saying. Go back and ask him soda water. I go back to the kitchen. I think to myself, soda is Coke. Water is water. I'll bring a cup of Coke and a cup of water. To them. <laughs> bring me a soda and a water. Soda water. Oh, yeah. It was one of the funniest things. I remember, um, I can't remember this was me or I got all my cousins into restaurant business too afterward. So I remember it was me or one of my cousins. One guest asked us for sweet water. So we went to the back. Grabbing a cup of water and some Splenda packages for sweet water. What is sweet water? <laughs> sweet water is a beer. Oh, is <laughs> like, it really? Okay. Yeah, it's a yeah. big See, brewery in Atlanta. <laughs> no, 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 a big brewery in Atlanta, which we had no idea about. <laughs> so I did a lot of those mistakes, and this is how I actually learned. So yeah. I had a manager at the time. Uh, <laughs> I never forget him, Juan. Like one year in the same company, I was awarded the best employee of the year. And Juan, when he was announcing it, made a coolest little comment he was like this is one man that i know that he's learned everything from his mistakes <laughs> and i was true. the one with the most amount of mistakes and Every mistakes is how you learn once a disaster oh man. yeah 100 percent. you can't become a master until you're willing to be a disaster oh excellent yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like your i mean your biggest coach is always your failures yeah 
for yeah. sure. So you said like this was that this is what did it for you. I think this that's was what I did it for. So me. what yeah. was it exactly that was doing it for you? Uh, so there's multiple things, right? Um, this was a restaurant group that had a lot of restaurants uh, from Tex-Mex Grills called Fronteras to and the whole company was called Northside Group. And throughout this journey, I met the owner of the restaurant, which I looked up to him still today. Why? I still talk to him. Just because of how he made it. How his story it? was very interesting. He uh, him and his wife actually came to U.S. to go to Georgia Tech for uh, mechanical engineering. Yeah. And to be able to afford school, he was selling tacos part-time. And that's how you started with the Frontera Tex-Mex concept and just grew into this gigantic restaurant group. Okay. And that he was such a personable, such a nice man that I just loved talking to him. And he was always one of those owners that would come in the restaurant, knew everybody's name, and shake their hands, ask him how their family was. And he knew everything about everyone. And that's, that was one part of it. The other part was the entire lifestyle. You know, restaurant business is it's very difficult. It's always moving. Nothing is always the same. Things are always changing. There's always chaos. I fucking love it, though. I dude. love chaos. Yeah, me that's too. the thing. That's the biggest part that just made me want to go to this business because I would sit behind a desk and study for school. I already knew I didn't like sitting behind a desk. Yeah. <laughs> I hated that. I hated that. And from the same restaurant, I worked my way up from a server assistant to assistant GM. And Wait, you I went remember, from server assistant to assistant GM? No, it's step by step. Okay, no, 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 not over step. time. No, yeah. no. I've done that in another job, actually, from server to okay. GM, but that didn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, so I was we'll working in the same restaurant. We'll get there, yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. I started working there and I started loving it. I was like, I just love doing this. Like, as soon as we had downtime, I would be in the kitchen, helping chefs cook, helping line cooks cook. I would go back to the pizza station, make my own pizzas. And I started just creating that love and passion for it. And I remember one day I came to a restaurant on my off day, sitting at a bar, having a beer or eating something. I love the food there. Uh to me, it's like if you ask me, if you don't love the food in a restaurant, you should never work there. Yeah. It's the biggest thing. You're going to sell it. And if you don't yeah, love it. It's, it's the biggest thing. Yeah. You're just not going to have that passion for it. Um, I was sitting behind the bar. I remember my manager at the time, Juan, and the same chefs, if John were behind the bar. And I told him, hey, guys, I just, at the time, I was going to Georgia State studying business uh, before I went to, uh, before I wanted to go to Georgia Tech. I was in Georgia State. And I went back, I was sitting at the bar, I was talking to them, I was like, hey guys, I want to change my measure from business to hospitality. I want to I wanna learn how to own a restaurant and work in a restaurant and do this. And they both laughed at me, they looked at me, and they were like, do you not see us? Do you not work with us? <laughs> yeah. Do you really want to do this for the rest of a yeah. life? Is this what you choose? This is the reaction I got from my parents when they, who owned restaurants when I told them I want to open my own restaurant someday. They're like, did you not learn anything <laughs> in your childhood? Like, no. Go. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. No, the, the, that, was the, that was the biggest thing yeah. I would get. And it's like being coming from Persian family, you move to U.S., all this stuff. Like, the expectation is for you to be a lawyer, doctor, engineer. That's yeah. it. There's no other way around it. So that was... Um, the way I sold it to my parents was different. I didn't really sell it. I just told them, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I was they curious were, about that. How, they, how did they take that? They didn't take it very well, but they didn't tell me much. I found out from rest of the family members that how they took it. Yeah. But um, like even my college friends, when I used to, my high school friends at the time, when I used to tell them, they were all like, really? You want to do this for the rest of your life? Yeah. I was like, do you not want to be successful? You know what's funny? 
this was group of three guys. All three of them restaurant business now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Did you suck them in? <laughs> no, no, no. They they have their own. Oh, yeah. uh, they have their own ventures, gotcha. which is uh, which is such a cool thing. But um, but you're 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 touching on something, and I don't mean to take you too really too far off your story. That there is this 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 stigma associated with the industry, and I don't know about you, man, but like there are certain things that that, ha- that happen in the restaurant industry. I can't do well. I'll be the first person to admit I, I'm I'm a. I'm a great support role in the restaurant. I love being the support role. I've always been able to recognize the people who are the, the, the rock stars, the bartenders, the servers, the chefs. And I'm like, wow, you guys are freaking good. Like, and I've always really accelerated in, 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 like, in supportive roles. Like My favorite position in the restaurant industry is a host. But I take that I take that position to the next fucking level, though. You know what I mean? I love that position, and I I'm searching for ways to be there for other people and to take a, a tray off of a server's hands or to to look for an opportunity to see a guest that's like you know like being ahead of the the the, the problem, the, yeah, and it's like yeah. putting things up before they even become a problem. And I love that. Um, anyway, but the point being is like I can't do certain things that people are really good at in this industry. And I don't think most people realize how hard it is to, to be a server or a bartender. To, 100%. To like, it's amazing. And no, like, to me, no a lot respect. of people don't get it. Yeah. You're 100% right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people look at it from outside. I was like, oh, I love doing this. I love yeah. owning a restaurant. Can you, can you open a restaurant for me? This and that. I was like, I don't think you understand what owning a restaurant means. Mm. It's a 24-7 job. Yeah. If there was more hours in a day, it would be more hours of a job. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and nothing ever stops. I mean, yeah. from 1 a.m. hood cleaning to shutting down a restaurant to grill going down, this going down. Uh, anything you think it can possibly happen. So you're telling people you're starting to come to terms with yourself and what your passion is. And you're like, I don't know how, this is, how people are going to receive this news. <laughs> no, 100%. So it's, it is actually very funny. I. Uh, I, I was still torn. I was like, I wasn't 100%. So I was like, I was thinking to myself, do I want to go to culinary school and become a chef? Then I'm thinking, I was like, okay, I don't think I need that to own a restaurant because I've seen chefs get hired and work different restaurants. And I don't really want to be the guy that works in the back of a house all the time because then I would, wouldn't know what's going on in my front of a house. So I scratched that out. And I had an aunt at the time who was actually a chemical engineer from Georgia Tech who was trying to go to law school and she did a couple of like uh, part-time jobs in different law schools and then until she found out she wanted to go to culinary school. And so she helped me clear up my mind. She was like, she was in culinary school at the time or she was switching to it at least. Um, Then I realized, okay, this is not what I want to do. Maybe I just want to learn the management part of it. So I stayed in that restaurant and grew as much as I could until I found out, okay, there's not a whole lot more that I need How to learn from here. I was there for five years. Oh, wow. That's plenty of time. Yeah, that's plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. And I bet your English got much better there. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, that's literally where I learned my yeah. English. And a lot of people used to tell me, it's like, you have a little bit of a Spanish accent. I was like, yeah, probably, because I learned my English from Latinos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a little different. That's awesome. Uh, I never learned Spanish from, which I still don't understand why or how. <laughs> but before we move on to the next thing, because I know yeah. you end up going to, uh, is it Rumi's? Rummies? No, no, no. I'll jump around a lot of places okay. until I've been through. But you yeah. did grow a lot. This is where you spent five oh, yeah. years. You were 18 when you started there. You were 23 when you left. Yeah. Or 20, yeah, yeah 23 when you left. Yeah, I literally left right before I graduated college. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, how did you grow? Would, if you said, like, what were the biggest, ev- like, the biggest mentoring moments for you, the biggest evolutionary points for you at this time before we move on? My, hmm, 
like grew in that same company. With, how did you grow as a person? How did you grow yeah. as a professional? I think it was a lot of it by uh, the managers and people that I were in my life at the time. It was like one of my very good friends, Tol Juan, one of my managers, who flew down there from New York. And he was running the restaurant. He taught me how to manage people properly, yeah. how to be respectful, basically not do what you don't want to be happening to you, basically, to mm-hmm. them. And he was my mentor. He was the one who actually got me to serve and taught me everything I needed to learn to be a server in the restaurant because still English was still a big problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point but he was the one that grew me up and grew me up to be his assistant and this is how I learned everything because I was the guy that always showed up early and I was always in the restaurant after I was done to try to see what else I could do what else I could learn all those little things like from picking up inventory it's like hey you don't want to come in on Sunday morning and do inventory let me do it for you okay. let me call in the orders yeah. all those little things that taught me a lot of things uh, throughout the life like I was doing inventory before I even had any managerial role yeah, and that's how I learned alcohol, and that was my best way of learning things very, very visually. If you're listening to this and you're somebody who loves the restaurant industry, you're in a, I would say a, uh, I don't know, like a, what's the, t- I always like, I don't want to say like a low position role because we need everybody on the team, right? But if yeah, you're yeah, in an entry 100%. level position, yeah. uh, to take the initiative, do these things. Get a free education. Ask and and you know take the bull by the horns. And I think that's just a great lesson, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, so yeah. I would go in a line and cook when it was needed. Yeah, I would taste things as much as needed. Yeah, I would actually go through recipe books and help him make sauces and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like that. My biggest thing was learning as much as I could. Yeah, and I believe um, absolutely you have to get learn and get the initiative and get a head start on it because yeah. a lot of times you don't get handed those opportunities unless you have a resume. Yeah, the resume is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. It's like. Everybody wants a resume before they give you a job. Must have experience. It must have experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or you learn at the highway. You, yeah. you just jump in there and see, okay, what do I need to do to get to the next level? Any of those posters or those signs that are still in existence today have been scratched out and says <laughs> pulse. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> today's day. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, uh, today's different. <laughs> so it was 2012 when you left. This was 2012, 2013. Because yeah. it was five years. You came here in 2007. Yeah. You got this job five years later. I'm assuming simple math. 2012. Same time, yeah. yeah. So you opened your first restaurant in 2018. No, no, no. I opened my first restaurant in 2020. 2020. Okay. But yeah. still, only six years. So we're only six years away from you opening your first restaurant yeah. at this point, which is pretty impressive when you think about it. Yeah. I it's think pretty, so. I mean, to me, with my own personal timeline, I was yeah. still late, kind of. Yeah. Um, You're 23 years old. It's 2012. Yeah. So I'm 22 years old, 2012. Now with the words that I'm graduating college, yeah. I have no idea what's the next step. Mm. I know I still want to learn, and I know I wanted to learn a lot of things. And I'm just thinking, okay, what do I want to do next? So this was the era that I switched million jobs. I went from going through, um, first thing I was trying to get it working for Houston's. Because I know Houston was known for teaching you everything. Yeah. It was like an army of restaurants. This is where everybody knew, like, this is where systems came from. This is where most successful restaurants were. So my biggest thing was trying to get into that, and didn't happen. Uh, they were very selective and didn't work out for me. So I started going, like, okay, what's the other option? It was like I started looking around. It's like Waffle House. Waffle House in Atlanta is huge. It's big. You got to learn system. You want to learn how to do things. Let's go to Waffle House. So I applied at Waffle House as a, for a manager. And Waffle House is one of those companies you always start from the scratch. You always start from the bottom. doesn't matter where you're Do you understand going. that? Yeah. Why? 
because it teaches you everything. Mm. First of all, it teaches you like from now, like from owning a restaurant, I understand hundred percent why they do it that way. Yeah, because you learn the most amount and you appreciate the people that work for you and what they do. Thomas Keller does the same thing. It doesn't matter where you came from. Yeah, if you go to work at the French Laundry, you're running food. Yeah, that's yeah. basically. So yeah. I worked at Waffle House for a couple of months. Um, I learned a lot of things from them. Yeah. I learned a lot of things from them. And I learned what a hard job it was running Waffle House. Because I remember one day I was going to a um, meeting. You know, had the area director coming in and meeting with a bunch of different managers. And one day we go into this meeting and I see this guy that just looked terrible. The dude looked like, look, he looked like he had a rough day. Yeah. Right? Next thing we get into it, he was working a 36-hour straight shift. Oh. Wow. His, his, is that the Waffle House? Is that the Waffle House? Because the Waffle House, uh, if you were a manager of a store, you were also running the grill. Yeah. And you had two other grill person who worked the grill in the 24 hours time period, right? I am surprised that a, a, you know, a, a business a organization this size would let that happen. I mean, that's a huge liability. Yes. Yeah. But it was one of those things that if your line cook called out, you had to go in and run the store. Yeah. Was he an owner or a manager? Oh, he was a manager. Okay. But again, Waffle House is one of those places, if you put sweat and tears into it, you'll move up. You'll yeah. get somewhere. Yeah. And, and you can have a, you can be very financially successful if you move up. Yeah. And later on in my, in my years in my career, I actually met uh, one of my mentors that I call him Amu, which is like term of a call him uncle, who was actually was one of the most, one of the top executives of Waffle House. Oh, wow. I didn't know him at the time. I got to know him later on. I guess my path would have been different if I would have known him at a time. It was probably have more of a motivation to move up than anything else. But then from Waffle House, I went to a bunch of different serving jobs. I went to work for uh, Castellucci's um, at the Iberian Pig. They have okay. an Iberian Pig. They have but a bunch of different concepts. Did, how here. long were you at Waffle House? Waffle House for three or four months. Three or four months. You weren't there that long. What, what no, wasn't not that there? long. Did you learn anything or was it, was it not for you? Why did I you learned a lot of things, but I also learned, okay, this is, I will never get, my goal was always owning a restaurant. Yeah. I was like, okay, move up in Waffle House and be very financially successful, but I would never get to that ownership. But apparently it was Stock ownership. You, though. You, didn't, you, you weren't feeling it. Yeah, 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 I wasn't feeling 100%. Right. Yeah. So real quick before we, as go we go forward, just just list everywhere else you went to before coming, before you're finding yourself at Rumi's. Is it Rumi? Uh, Rumi's, yeah, yeah. So I worked at Davio's. I, uh, this was the Italian restaurant in Phipps. Phipps Mall. I think they're still open. I've had Stephen DeFilippo on the show. Oh, yeah? yeah really? Yeah, <laughs> That's sure. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I worked at Davio's. I worked at uh, Iberian Pig. I worked at somewhere from uh, the Luciano's, the Italian restaurant that I started at, to coming to college. I worked at Melting Far for a little bit. It was... I had no idea what melting pot was. I just got a job there and I started. I was like, okay, this is not for me. Um, let's see. There was Davio's, Iberian Pig, Waffle House. I think that was it for that time period. What year was it when you found yourself at uh, Rumi's? It was right when I graduated college. I I thought you graduated in 23. When you were 23. No, no, no. Uh, well, 2000, I think it was 2013. Same time. Yeah. Same time that I switched So you had from all those different jobs in a one-year period? One-year period. Literally, oh, wow. I had like five different W-2s I had to collect <laughs> to do my taxes. I remember it because it was taxis and I had to go collect those things. I know Davios is a pretty tight run ship. 
Yeah, yeah. Tavi's Tavi's a big restaurant. Well, why why, why didn't that work out for you? And that was a serving job. So oh. that was for me was a stepping stone between finding the next thing. Okay, so you're still searching. Uh, still searching. Yeah, but it, I think it's good to get out there and try things to get perspective. You, at this point, these are only your second, third, and fourth, and fifth job in the restaurant industry. Hundred percent. Right? So you got to feed yourself yeah. that perspective. I would recommend doing more than three months if you don't want to develop a reputation. Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> yeah, percent. Yeah. No. Uh, so all of those didn't work out for certain reasons, right? Okay. Uh, I'm going to get into this. All those reasons are very embarrassing, but I'm going to get into them. Uh, so I worked at Iberian Pick. Iberian Pick was one of my favorite restaurants in the city. Spanish food. I was like, okay, there's a lot to learn. I loved how to run the restaurant. For me, the biggest thing working in a restaurant was that connection with the higher-ups. Higher-ups. Yeah. It's like that what created the motivation. Like seeing the owner, seeing the executive chef, and having that kind of uh, appreciation for them made me stay in the place. What made you appreciate them? Uh, just knowing their story, knowing how... Like their success rate, what kind of restaurant they're running, what kind of operation they're running. Those things made me want to stay at a place or not. Okay, how right? long were you at Iberian Pig? <laughs> Iberian Pig's story is very funny. Wait, uh, you weren't, this was during that one-year period. So it wasn't during that one-year period. Yeah. It wasn't that long. It was yeah. literally two or three months. So Iberian Pig was one of the restaurants that I learned um, steps of service. Yep. And I learned how tight you could run a restaurant. So when I was working at Iberian Pig... Um, General manager of in charge was Leanne, and I still adore her to this day. I've even tried to recruit her. <laughs> then I found out she works for Disney now. Oh, that's and hard to compete with. Yeah, <laughs> she's big executive at Disney. Yeah. And this was one of those restaurants, and I was terrible at learning new languages. Still to this day, this is, I'm just terrible at it. I. I dropped out of Spanish. I was like, I'm not doing this. Tell them, tell the school that I'm not doing this. Yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> basically, like, when I was going to college, like, you had to pick a selective course or whatever. Yeah. And I thought it would be fun to take Italian. Then I understood, no, you had to take past the second one to be counter selective. So, dropped the second one, picked up Spanish, dropped Spanish, ended up at psychology for the selective. And I was like, okay, this is it. I'll just yeah. do the psychology thing. But getting back to Iberian Pig, I worked there. I loved the restaurant. I loved the food. In the restaurant, obviously, like, you go through different levels before you pass and become a server, right? Yeah. So I had to pass this mock service. Mock service is where you sit down and uh, actually general manager, executive chef, and one of the trainers sits down and you wait on him as a, as a server. And you had to know everything. I could not pass that test. What was the challenge for you? I think the challenge was the language. Just learning all those different cheeses and ingredients. It was terrible. It's still one of the most embarrassing stories I use to uh, kind of bring up my staff. When I talked to them, I was like, hey, look, you could fail it. It's fine. Mm. Everybody fails things. Yeah. So is it the Iberian language that's the tough part? Or... Is I think it, uh, mainly it was the language. It was the just learning the vocabulary and learning that those Spanish words to use. Wait, is Iber- what is Iberia? That, that, no, 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 Iberian is like Iberian is the pick. It's like the but that's a it's a region, isn't it? Technically, uh, if you count as like Iberico so, ham, so it's kind of becomes a region. The hard part? Dude, yeah, Spanish okay, was sorry, the hardest I'm part. Clearly, agree. no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is actually one of my most embarrassing. I actually had a dinner. I was invited to. Um, Birthday party on the night of a Halloween. Who Frederick Castellucci was the CEO of that company, and uh, Frederick Castellucci. Frederick uh, Frederico Castellucci. Yeah. Fred- oh, Frederick. I've had him on the show. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, so, that's why it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. so it was actually pretty cool, and we were I was talking. Trying to, I was trying to reconnect with him during this this trip out here to get him back on oh, the show. Oh, awesome. He, he's away, or I think somebody's, I don't know, we couldn't make it happen. But no? Yeah, yeah. So I actually met him, and I was like, I always introduced myself as the one that failed the mock service, because I never made it as a server, and I just ended up giving up. I was like, okay, I can never pass yeah. this. I'm just going to go to the next well, Keep job. in mind, English is your second language, right? And yes. so you already, you, know, you already know two languages. So that's more impressive yes. than most people, right? <laughs> but it's hard. It's not easy. No, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's not easy. And that was the time that I started searching for, like, okay, where do I go next? Yeah. And at the time, I was... Um, I was living at this house in Bucket with a couple of roommates. And one of my roommates always was like, hey, go to roomies. Yeah. I was like, why? I was like, at the time, I felt like I didn't have a whole lot to learn from a Persian restaurant. And it was never my goal to open a Persian restaurant or anything related to that culture. That appreciation became over time. Yeah. Right? So. Uh, before we move into to roomies, I kind of want to make you feel better about yeah, your. Yeah, good. Uh, we'll call it a failure, but I think it's. I mean, <laughs> we we all go. We have to, we learn about ourselves. I went to go work for uh, Margarita's restaurant, and uh, it's a it's a New Hampshire uh, Mexican chain. There's probably thirty or so locations throughout like the Northeast, right? Um, I didn't I didn't make it through the training there either. Uh, and my my challenge was the service, the steps of service, because they were so particular about how you approached the table, what you said when you got there. It was so scripted. And I think there was a period that that was the way we people did things because it was about the upsells, about being on brand. I think the industry has gotten away from that. I think they've realized that it's one that's it's not – people don't want to be forced into a mold. Yeah. Right? It comes off as – Especially after 2020 and pandemic. Yeah. It doesn't come off as authentic, yeah. you know? And I was just so caught up in like, do I put the water down now? Or like, like all those like little details of like how exactly they wanted it. I was like, can I just be myself? You know, can I just like give the people what they want? You know, <laughs> like it was too many steps for me. So look, look, there's different verticals within the restaurant industry. Not everyone's cut out for every role and not everyone's cut out to do things the way that certain people want it to be done. Hundred percent. So, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, you're, you're doubting yourself because you failed, like just because, you, you weren't good in that vertical within the restaurant industry doesn't mean you can't be a successful restaurant tour or a successful owner. And in my experience, it's the people who are, aren't the rock stars who make the best owners because they're, they're better at supporting the rock stars. And that's really what a restaurant owner is. It's, it's a support your team. You're there for everybody else. 100%, yeah. So I just wanted to make You're that. You're like the glue that tries to put everybody together. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons that I, I recognize this by myself. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of see this in you too, that like you don't have to be the rock star to be no, a successful restaurateur. Yeah. You need to know what you're good at and stay in your lane and let and surround yourself with people who are strong where you're weak. Yeah. yeah no, so. 100%. It's like it's one of those things that you learn after, after a while. So where were we? Actually, now I remember one of the reasons I failed that mock service. One, one of the times that I failed that mock service, let's put it that way. Uh, I touched my beard. Oh, see? Yeah. That's just like... That's, it, like, that's one of those things, right? And this was one of those restaurants that you had to schedule with the executive chef and the GM. Yeah. And that took two, three weeks. So it was like at some point I just gave up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to next journey. Yeah. You know what? Like, should you touch your face if you're serving? No. No. Are we perfect? No. no. <laughs> it's gonna happen, but you don't want to do it when you're trained. But anyway, like I think we've 100%. we've proven yeah. our point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you go to Rumi's. It's a, a Parisian. What was it? No, Rumi's Iranian. Iranian. Yeah. Thank you. So it's like motherland, basically. Yeah. So actually, I, I went to a restaurant before Rumi's called Canoe. I got a job there, and the training would start in two weeks. 
then I realized I was like, okay, I, can't, I don't want to wait two weeks without a job. It's not yeah. my thing. I have to be working. I'm, I was a workaholic yeah. since the beginning. Like even when I went to college, I finished my bachelor's in three and a half years. I was always working at least 50 hours a week. Yeah. The bare minimum. So I couldn't, just sitting around is not my thing. Um, I always have to have a lot on my plate. That's how I feel like accomplished. That's yeah. the word to say it. Uh, if not chasing my tail, I don't feel accomplished. Mm. I go to roomies, get a job. Training starts the next day. So I stay there. Go through training. Work my way up as a server. And I never forget this. The, the owner of the restaurant. And I went there for an interview and they did all the interviews at once. And the owner of the restaurant came to a table and kind of shook my hand and wished me a good luck in like a way that mm-hmm. you're not going to last here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So my first day on the job, I'm standing in this uh, area they call Pantry. And he comes up to me. He's like, where are you from? Oh, and then he comes up to me. He's like, you know who I am? He's like, uh, you was bringing a chef check. And I was like, you're technically a chef. Because I know I'm also the owner. I was like, okay. He's like, where are you from? From here. Yo, you're from Iran. Okay, tell me what's in this dish. I froze. It's like I had no idea what it meant. It's a very simple dish. It's like probably your go-to dish that you ate maybe once every two weeks back home. But as you're eating things that you grew up with, you don't really think was in him. You don't you just you, eat it. Yeah, you just eat it. And yeah. It's like I froze, and he's and he got kind of mad. It was like, oh, how what kind of Iranian are you? Don't know this and that. And this is a restaurant that I learned most things from. Same man I'm talking about. So detail oriented, very detail oriented, and I learned the most amount of things I knew about how to run a restaurant from him, and a lot of things about how to what not to do from him because his way of treating he's people wasn't off as a little pompous. Yeah, yeah, his way yeah. of treating people wasn't the best, and yeah. I just learned exactly how not to treat people from him, yeah. which was which you can was be fantastic. the best chef in the world. You can know what every ingredient is in any Iranian recipe. <laughs> yeah. If you're an asshole to people, see how far you go. Yeah, that's yeah. that's basically it. But we'll we'll get back Sorry. to it later. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. And I and it, I still have to thank my best friend at the time who convinced me to go to this restaurant. This restaurant because at the time I was like, at the time I was like, okay, I don't feel like I'm going to learn anything because my go to was always I want to open an Italian French restaurant or order a brunch spot because brunch was my thing. Yeah, and all those other ideas develop over time as I grew within that rest, same restaurant. With the same restaurant I went from I think it was week month four or five I went from being a server to GM mm. overnight and that's where I started learning what owning a restaurant means and all different aspects of it and different things that goes into it and it was one of the hardest time I ever had because the same management team that used to manage me now, I had to manage them. So it's a huge twist. And this is not a normal, slow restaurant. This is one of the busiest restaurants in the city. Yeah. It's open seven days a week, lunch and dinner, full service catering, slamming, and you're working for one of the most detail-oriented, uh, crazy restaurateurs you, you could possibly work for. And obviously, there's a lot of things that made him like that because he kind of came from nothing. Um, Self-made and one of has one of the best restaurants now has probably almost five locations, and that's where I learned most amount of things. It's like the hardest part for me was at that time was learning how to manage the people that I used to work next to. Yeah. So right? what did you learn about how to manage people during this? This I mean, it's it's in it these hard tough. times we learn the most about ourselves. Yeah, it it was tough. Like I still to this day I struggle trying to teach this to my 
sous chefs or my upcoming chefs. So what do you teach them? Managers. First of all, it's like, it's all about teaching them the expectation, right? The first, the biggest thing in any job is understanding expectations and managing the expectation. As one of my mentors always teaches me, it's like, all you have to do is set the expectation and manage that expectation. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. So, I mean, I, I probably quote Dane Meyer too much, but this is what he means <laughs> by constant gentle pressure, right? It's the expectation is the salt goes in the middle of the table. The salt's not in the middle of the table. You push it back into the middle of the table and you exactly. communicate what the job done right looks like. And you don't correct the person. You correct the process. You, you correct the action. Yep. Right. Yep. So keep going. One of the other things is like, one of my mentors always taught me this. I don't know if you got it from somewhere or not, but it's like the answer to the standard, not the position. The answer to the standard, not the position. What do you mean by that? It's like you always answer to the standard. So it doesn't matter if your boss is doing something wrong. If the standard is this, if the standard salt goes in the middle of the table, yeah. you put the salt in the middle of the table. Yeah. doesn't matter if your chef at the time or your manager at the time is putting it on the right side or left side. Yeah. Regardless what's going on, you always answer to the standard, yeah. not I think the position. Was, I had Rudy Mick when I first talked to him on the show, and he said that the goal, your job as a restaurateur, as a manager, is to paint the picture of perfection. Is to is to is to and I think that's another way to say exactly what you're mm-hmm. saying. Like, how do you know what to aim for if you don't know what the expectation is? Hundred yeah. percent. And this was what I learned after after what is actually helping me go through the process I am right now as a restaurant owner, teaching people how to manage my restaurant and how to do it properly. I catch myself almost every day being mad about them doing something wrong, but I never taught them the expectation. This too will pass. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like every day, I was like, I'm like, oh, wait, have I told them how it's supposed to be? Like, do they know what the expectation yeah. is? So why am I the only person that should be getting mad at right now is me. Yeah. Me, myself, and I, basically. Yeah. But also, people are going to fall short. People are going to shift 100%. or drift over time. 100%. There's no sense in getting mad. If you're getting mad over these things, you will never be happy in the restaurant industry. Yeah, so it's always look back. And it's like, what are the mistakes I've done through my life, yeah. right? What did I do? How did I correct it? So, you again, you learned the most at Rumi's before opening your own place. You learned how to manage people. You learned how to set expectation. What else did you learn? I learned a lot of things about Persian food that yeah. I didn't know before. Yeah. That I knew to the commercial aspect of it, yeah. right? Yeah. I learned a lot from them, actually. Um, I'm one of those people, I'm very visual. I'm always watching, like, even though I was always on the front of the house side, this was open kitchen. My eyes were always in the back of the house. I knew exactly how to cook every dish. I've learned it throughout process and seeing it every day and tasting it. And that was the biggest thing was like learning how to do it. So when the time came to open my restaurant, I feel like I was ready. And some people have asked me, it's like, hey, you stayed there too long, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I feel like I stayed there a perfect amount of time because I learned everything I could. Seven years? Seven years, yeah. I don't think that's too long. To like I don't think there. it's too long. I mean, some no. people take a risk, but I don't think that's for everything. You're also building a network, too. And I think that that's other people... The big, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the one thing that people understand the value is like you're getting a network. Yeah. This is what I teach my servers every now and then when I go to the lineups. It's like you could be here for as a stepping stone through your life, through your trying to figure out your modeling career or acting career, or a lot of those things, or until you graduate college. But the way I see this restaurant... It's a job or service, server job in, in general. You're getting paid to network. That's it. If you, there's one thing you're going to ever take away from this job is networking. Yeah. Because your future boss or your 
future mentor or any idol that you might have in your life, you're most likely is serving their table. Right. Now. Yeah. And you are, you said it, it took you like three months to go from server to, to GM. Yeah. Where yeah. were you after seven years? Three to five months, I think. I was still a GM. You're still a GM. I was still a GM. I was actually a GM, then I was downgraded from a GM because I didn't understand what a GM was. And that's the part that like I learned a lot from because I learned how it is to bump somebody up to a position without a, explaining to them what the expectation is. Where were you falling short as a GM? A lot, actually. Actually, now that I'm running a restaurant, I'm understanding how much more goes into it and how much more there was that I wasn't looking at. I, thought, I really thought... Well, being GM to different restaurant group could mean different things, right? So what does it mean to you? What, reflecting at what a GM is to you today and what you were when you were falling short of being a GM, what weren't you doing well? A GM to me today is a person, is, you're basically the owner of a restaurant. You're looking you're treating at today. Like you're on it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You're in there when it's needed. You're fixing things when it's needed. When Security the system calls yeah. you at 2 in the morning, you're there. 5 in the morning, somebody needs to get in. Doesn't when the GM quits, there. the restaurant owner comes in and does that job. That's literally what it is. Yeah. And that's the that's the that's one of the biggest things. Like you're looking at today, you're looking at tomorrow, you're looking at next week, you're looking at next month. At the same time, you're involved with every little thing in the restaurant. Yeah. So what weren't you doing as a GM? Where, like Again, like if, if you could reflect back, if you could critique yourself and make yourself cry if the younger version of yourself was sitting, it was me. What would you tell me right now? What were you doing wrong? Don't make me cry. But <laughs> no, no, I won't make you cry. Um, there was a lot of like there was a financial aspect of it that I did not understand at the time. What didn't you understand? Like how to run a PNL, how to do those things, how to go after the cost. Were you looking at PNLs? Um, not as much as we should have. How sh- how often should you look at a PNL? Very often. Very what you, often. What are you looking? You at? should. So a lot of times I've learned how to re- run a restaurant from a PNL. Yeah. But we expand on different categories, what our margins are, what our expectation is, and what we want to be, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of things like I learned a lot that when I was opening my restaurant, I built the entire budget around the restaurant from the, some old P&Ls that I had. Yeah. And I was playing around with numbers to figure out, okay, what should my budget be for this? How much should I spend for this? All those little things of it. But that was just one aspect of it. The other aspect was mentorship. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know enough about how to mentor people. To be better at the job, to feel good about themselves, to overcome all the struggles they're going through personally, you know, through their families, all of those things, and didn't have the eye for every little thing. So imagine it's like I was again from five months of being in server, I was promoted to GM with almost no expectations. Then everything was taught to me through the yelling process. It was like, oh, you're missing this, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. So I learned everything the hard way. And that was it's funny because that's actually my my love language of learning things. I learn everything through hallway. Yeah. I do most amount of mistakes possible. Yeah. Um, and learn, okay, this is how not to do it. So there's only so many ways left. What were the, like distill two of the biggest mistakes you made, the hard things you learned? Hmm. Two of the biggest mistakes of it. One, expectation. Yep. I didn't set an expectation for myself. We covered that, so that's your one. What's the second thing? Um, there are a lot of things that I didn't pay attention to from time to time that came to bite me in the butt in the future. Like what? A lot of little things. I'll under the bit, I think one of the most important thing I learned from from my mistakes was the domino effect. Right? You might ignore a call right now. You might ignore a text right now as a GM of a restaurant. 
but the domino effect that text or call or something as simple as seeing a lightning in the sky, right? Or losing internet for five seconds. The things that could follow that was the things that I never understood and never learned and now know for a fact because I see a little thing going wrong. I was like, okay, this, this, and that's going to go it's wrong. It's little right now, but when, when I look away, it's going to get a lot back, bigger. It's going to snowball. Yeah. From like one dish coming back to a restaurant that it didn't taste, that ended up affecting so many other people that ate that dish. You know? It's like didn't get the flavor right or just one phone call that it didn't answer to, one text message didn't answer to. Yeah, you shift your standard a little bit. The new standard's a little bit lower than where it was. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the one person who knows what the, the standard of that dish is relative to the, 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 the culture, the cuisine, writes a bad review. Yeah, so, so it's a bad review or yeah. actually you end up creating a whole new culture in a restaurant. Yeah. All of a sudden, lower next thing standard. you know it, all the recipes are changed yeah. because this is now how we do it. Yeah. But you don't even know it. Yeah. Is there one specific example you can think of that you took your, your eye off the, the ball? And it, it snowballed into something like, can you give us a specific example? Yes. So I hired a chef at a time, out of being desperate, needing a chef. And automatically thought because of the resume, they knew a lot of things. So I took a step back. A lot of times when I hired, like, hired leaders, I take a step back and observe how they do things. But with this one, this was before I learned that part. So I didn't really observe it. And I saw a shift change in the culture of my entire restaurant from recipe to the food to how people felt from day to day coming into the job. And this is, this is not one of those things that you can really name because it was just a, a behavior movement of day to day and me not correcting it that just ended up being such a huge problem in my restaurant. Mm. And I grew and I feel like I feel that person as a restaurant owner. I should have caught it. I should have corrected it. And it grew to be in the much bigger failure. And I feel like I failed them mm. as somebody who should have managed them yeah. properly, teaching them what they needed to know. Because I didn't correct them. I didn't set the expectation. So you noticed they were shifting, but was it, did you just think it wasn't a big deal? It wasn't. I thought it wasn't a big deal yeah. until that domino effect came by. What happened? And it was a huge shift of my staff. People quitting, people leaving, people not wanting to do things. All of a sudden, everybody came from being having that team mentality to going down to that pointing finger mentality. What was the the the, the catalyst? What was the thing that happened? The breaking point by letting this this not the thing that happened. The breaking point. I was working on costing, costing my menu items, right? Yeah, and I'd given this chef the task of costing it, and I'd close my eyes and noticing a lot of little red flags, as we call it. Until I came to a restaurant one day and I saw all the sheet that I provided for him to, hey, this is the, the all data to collect. Oh, the, the, the paper? Yeah, 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 just like the, the Excel numbers, sheets yeah. and stuff, numbers, stuff. This data you need to collect so we can come up with the proper costing of a dish so we can have a proper P&L. And from there, obviously, everything goes budgeting, bonuses, all those stuff. Yeah. Right? I come to a restaurant and I saw somebody who the same chef refers to as cannot communicate in English or doesn't speak proper English was filling out my sheets. <laughs> and I found out every single sheet of every kind of little costing, which is not a, obviously a big deal, but it's a lot of legwork that goes into it, yeah. was being done by the same people that that chef referred to as they can do the job. 
They cannot do the job. They cannot do the simple job of prepping food, but they were actually doing the managerial aspect of it for coming up with costs and yeah. food costs in the dishes. So what happens um, when this... What's the result of that? Why is it such a, catal- a catastrophic thing? Uh, for me, because he taught me, well, this person couldn't run the ship. Yeah, yeah. They weren't just but it all, ready I mean, to run the ship. Your profitability stems off of that. It, it, it's a very... It's a, it's a fine detail process. Costing is down to the gram it's yeah, down especially to the, in restaurant business it's down to the piece of paper that i wrap that sandwich in. oh 100 percent. yeah and that's where you make your money is knowing where every penny goes oh yeah and what 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 you need to charge on that item and on every bit of element that goes into that end result of the transaction for this plate what was the labor that went into that what mm-hmm. was the the you know the Every ingredient, what's every piece of dry good that goes into that, all that gets factored in. And if you're off by a little bit, it compounds. And if you're off by one menu item, two menu items, it all starts to stack up. And now you're not making money. You don't know yeah. the problem. No, 100%. Yeah. But that's, that's one part of it, right? The other aspect is like, okay, this is me being in the restaurant, observing what's going on. What else happening behind my closed doors or when I'm not there or when I'm not looking? And what kind of mentorship or leadership this person is providing for the rest of the team. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Because they're setting the example. If he doesn't give enough, nobody else will. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that people don't get is like, they're not, a, those, those actions by themselves are not a big deal. Yeah. They're never a big deal. But what they lead to do, that domino effect at the end of it is the problem. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you could be... Your entire life, you could be working, building good culture, then they all, the yeah. entire team crashes. As far as I'm getting so lost in this conversation, I can't no, you're good. We're, we're like an anyways. hour and 10 minutes I have no into idea. this thing. Oh, wow. And, but oh, we're, right, we're right, just right. at the point where um, you're about to open your own restaurant. But you only opened your first restaurant, what was it, 2020? 2020. Two years ago. So yeah. we're only two years away on your timeline. And we got yeah. another we got another 40 minutes at least to, to unpack all right, this. So let's go. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is actually where I take my first break to thank my sponsors. Oh, you're goody. I'll be right back to unpackage when you knew you're ready to go do your own thing. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. As host of Restaurant Unstoppable, I chat with a lot of restaurateurs. One thing a lot of them have in common, they use Seven Shifts. In fact, Every restaurateur using Seven Shifts that I've come across has great things to say about them. With over 700,000 restaurant pros and counting using it today, they're clearly onto something. So what are you waiting for? Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor costs, and keep your entire team connected with drag and drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, labor compliance, tip management, and more. It makes restaurant work a lot easier. And I bet Every member of your team will get value from it. Whether you're a franchise owner or a chief technology officer, a manager working front of house or back of house, plus it integrates with other restaurant tech systems you already use like your POS, payroll, and more. That is powerful. As a restaurant unstoppable listener, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using seven shifts today. We're back and 
the year now uh, in your story, we're just shy of 2020, right? You want to open your own place. When did you say to yourself, like, you knew you wanted to do this? Oh, yeah, 100%. So this was always the plan. But, yep. like, when were you, like, I'm making moves? I'm going to start to do this. I'm putting the ball in motion. Yeah. So this was mid or late 2019 when I started creating business plans and going out with realtors looking at these properties. And at the time, uh, I, didn't, I wasn't very successful until one of my friends who was actually my best friend at the time who was actually doing very well for himself. You weren't successful at developing the business plan? No, no, no I wasn't successful in finding a spot and oh, actually okay, opening gotcha. a restaurant. Gotcha. The financial aspect of it was always the big, biggest problem. Well, I was curious about that because uh, you're working in the restaurant and so you're putting money away? No, I was actually the one that always spent all my money. Yeah, so <laughs> like, how, like, how were, what was your strategy for getting the money to make this happen? So very good question. A lot of it happened by luck. So one of my best friends at the time who started working, who started, he opened his own car dealership with a financial backyard of his. And he was doing very good. And he was my best friend. And he was always trying to push me to, hey, let's open a restaurant together. Let's open a restaurant together. He finally got to the part that he could financially afford it. So he brought me to his partner, his business partner at his time. It's good to have friends. It's good to have friends. Yeah. I've had offers in the past, but I never wanted to open a restaurant with anybody. Why? My goal was always to open it by myself. Why? Because I didn't want anybody holding me back from doing what I wanted to do. What was different about this relationship? This relationship was they were going to come on a silent partner. Ah. They had no saying in it. Did you make that clear? I made that very clear. How did they handle that? We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah, he came up. was like his partner. His partner already opened a bunch of restaurants before, clubs. And they were both car dealers. Uh, they had car dealership. And time comes. We're looking at spaces. We finally find the right space. There were a bunch of spaces we found. For some reason, they didn't work. Some didn't accept us financially or we couldn't sell on a price with them. Days goes by um, and I was actually going to a food, like uh, working in restaurant business, I never had the weekends off. So when you have a weekend off, you have no idea what to do with it because you're just, you're not used to it anymore. It's just the people like go out the weekends no longer call you or text you or there's no plans yeah so one night out of friday night off call one of my cousins up hey i was like hey cousin where are you at he's like oh we're going to the food tasting for one of your cousin's wedding you want to come sure and the venue was the car and del bar location in man park we go to this indian restaurant uh for a food tasting love the food i noticed friday night restaurant is super empty and this was during the time that i was looking for venue right and I met the owner of the restaurant at the time. I was like, hey, if you ever want to get out of your lease or if you're looking for just shutting this down, I want to take it from you. Months goes by. Months goes by and my phone rings 8 in the morning, January 1st of 2020. First phone call of the day. Phone rings. I pick it up. My realtor is, remember that guy that you talked to, you told me about that had an interest on blah, blah, blah. He wants you to buy his lease out. I was like, can you tell him we'll be there in two hours? <laughs> what was it about this location that you wanted this spot? Very good spot. What made it good? One of the best neighbors in the town. What made it a good neighborhood? Foot traffic. Yeah. Crazy amount of foot traffic. Yeah. Everyone comes from town over here for walking the belt line down, but amazing foot traffic. But this is also where a lot of my appreciation for restaurant grew because I used to go to that Barcelona in the corner and just hang out there all day long. And it was one of those locations I never thought I could get because it was such a prime location. 
And the only thing creating it was that relationship. So we go up there with my two partners at a time. And we were like, yes, we'll take it. It was like, doesn't matter. Whatever number, he comes with a number. We buy his lease out, buy all the equipment. And we get to signing a lease. And this is probably late February. Late February is where we signed the lease. I put in my notice of my job. I kind of put in a year and a half notice, kind of. Like, they wanted me to go around open roomies kitchens for them all across the U.S. And I told them, hey, give me an opportunity to buy into the company. I'll do it. Why no is problem. that the case? Why would you want to buy into the company? Why would? Because, again, I'll, the ownership, the, owning my own restaurant was always my dream yeah. or my goal. If I'm going to kill my dream and goal for something, allow me to have a piece of it. Yeah. Just let me buy it. It wouldn't, wouldn't be much, much because I never had any money saved. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically, I ended up having a year and a half uh, notice. And my notice at the time was because I was going with my aunt, who was actually a very successful restaurateur now, in an opening concert with her. And all of those changed. Partners came up. We found that location. That phone call happens 8 in the morning, January 1st, 2020. I'll never forget this. Two hours later, we're in that property checking out the restaurant. We're like, Okay, let's do this. And the restaurant at the time was open, so they didn't want anybody knowing that they were going to shut it down. Did they, did they know that like the pandemic was coming? Did they get like the nobody knew? <laughs> this is the thing. So yeah. none of us knew at this yeah. point, right? This is where this why this story is so crazy. Yeah. Late February, we signed the lease. March pandemic hits, mm. and you know it's like as you live in US and because of the comfort and because of the freedom just like we talked about previously you never think those things happen to the united states yeah the disaster is always for somewhere else some yeah. other country yeah going through it but this time we made it to us so march 5th i put in my notice on my job and i started going over there to full-time renovate the place our budget was very small so i did all the renovation i designed the place space from picking a fabric chair all the little things you could possibly think of i was involved with at a time pandemic hits and now everything is in the air nobody knows what's going on what to do we're like okay we're going to open this the least amount of investment possible and while we're going through opening we opened I think it was like our first week of opening where when my partner had a had a problem with each other yeah their business venture that they weren't partnered with together was kind of falling apart I don't want to get into details of it. Yeah, I respect that. Yeah. Um, but so it came to a verge that I had to pick a side, right? It was like, it is this one or that one. And one of them was perfect silent partner for me. The other one didn't understand what silent partner meant. So I took the, the other route. I took the silent, silent partner means route. you give me your money. Silent <laughs> means you give me your money and you just sit and back and see. Yeah, yeah, I don't make you money. That's yeah. what it means, basically. And that was my biggest thing. My only... Uh, my only make it or break it deal getting into this deal was you have to be signed. Yeah. You have to let me do what I know. Gonna work. We can be friends outside of this business exactly, relationship. Yeah. But when it comes to this business relationship, yeah. I steer the ship. Yeah, but didn't work. So Did you get that, that in writing? Yes. Okay. No, actually now having writing. We didn't have it at the okay. time. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. That's one of the biggest lessons. Yes. Yeah. And you know what's funny? It's the lesson I gave to that same best friend that was going into business with the other partner. And I told him, hey, make sure you get in writing, but I didn't do it myself. But yeah. that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, I learned from my, my yeah. mistakes again. But 
So all this happens during the pandemic. It's almost the first week of openings and everything was going crazy. So we're like, okay, we're going to open this. There was a shutdown, so we're going to open as takeout only. We're not going to develop inside as much as we want to. We're going to do it over time, gradually. Because we didn't know what pandemic was going to mean or how many, how long it was going to last. And the funny part is the location that we took, everybody in the neighborhood called it cursed because every business that came there failed. So as I'm out there remodeling and putting a coming soon sign, the entire city is obviously shut down and getting business license, all those things are a disaster because also city also shut down and they have no way of uh, doing business. They they didn't have the process set yet. And I'm there just working literally 6 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night every day doing construction myself because, again, pandemic, don't know what's happening. And my partners get into this conflict. And they were the one with the money, obviously. So during the conflict, neither one of them wanted to put in any money, obviously. Because of the conflict, it was like, it was like you got to pick between us. Which one do you want? Yeah. Right? And during this time, obviously, I was, I was already open. It was like a week one or two into opening for takeout. And I had no... I didn't want to stop, right? I didn't want to stop finishing up the restaurant. Because yeah. the interior of the restaurant wasn't fully developed yet. Yeah. It didn't look like what I wanted it to look like. Yeah. So at this, that time, I'm literally spending all the money that I can on my credit cards, Oof. fixing the restaurant yeah. up. Thankfully, I had a nice larger lineup created because of all the money I spent. <laughs> so my credit cards were literally maxed out. I have no income coming in. And at the same time, because of me opening this restaurant, new restaurant, my previous boss, Rumi's Kitchen, they fired my girlfriend at the time. They're trying to give me some help, like financial. They're like conflict of interest. And right before this conflict between the two owners, my previous restaurant also sued me for opening a restaurant. Rumi sued you. They sued me for opening a restaurant on the ground of uh, stealing confidential information. It's like random stuff. Basically, it came down to me sitting and sit down and they telling me like, we have money, we can sue you. Yeah. So that obviously built into the conflict my owners had, my partners had with each other. Because now you're bringing a lawsuit into the party. Now you have a you have pandemic, you have a lawsuit, and, and nobody knows what's going on. Did you ever sign a non-compete? I did not, but uh, there was a part-time cook that worked for me who was working for them who had a non-compete. Oh. And because of that non-compete, I got sued and the company got sued. And how did that go? We settled. Okay. They actually came back and was like tried to settle it because it was costing them too much. Yeah. And they were never going to get anywhere because they didn't have anything. So, so it was... But the, the, they didn't have anything because they couldn't prove that he was giving, like... Yeah, they couldn't prove anything. Yeah, because yeah. at the time, like, every non is based off a radius, right? The yeah. working radius from... And they had no restaurant close to us. They had a restaurant that was going to open in the future, in, like, a year after, in that location, yeah. but it wasn't there yet. Yeah, I have thoughts racing through my head right now, but I'm going to sit down until... <laughs> You're good. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things happen. And... Partners are fighting. I'm putting all the money that I can possibly. My bookkeeper, who was used to also be my manager at Rumi's, I brought her as a bookkeeper, coming to me every weekend. I was like, Forrest, I was like, this is how much the payroll is. This is how much we have in the bank. We can't make payroll. I'm like, Max, listen, it's the weekend. We're going to have more cash flow coming in. We'll be fine. We'll yeah. be fine. I'm a very optimistic person. When uh, is this in the timeline? Because the pandemic hits March. What, what? This is month one into opening. So we're, we opened May 5th. 
Two, so you're in June. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is when things start to open up again. Like exactly. Where the government's like, okay, we can let you guys open at half capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing that I haven't brought to the conversation yet, but I know you didn't qualify for PPP. Because you opened nope. after the deadline. Like yep. if you were, I think it was with like after like a is it November or something like that? Yeah. Like you had to have opened your restaurant before November of twenty nineteen or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember the exact dates, but it was something like that to have been qualified for the the government support. So yeah. you couldn't get any support from the yep. government because you were too close to that that you know, it, there wasn't enough time of you being in business. Exactly. Yeah. And it it was a very very weird era. Um Obviously, we didn't get any PPP. We didn't have any help. Yeah, we just had to keep rolling, keep yeah. rolling with the punches, yeah. and figure out how to open it. And I invested every money that we made into the restaurant um, until July fourth was when we actually opened our dining room. And obviously, one of our partner bought the other one out, and I went in. Time passed by, right? All the lawsuit was settling. Uh, we settled on the lawsuit, and this is where July. 4th of July when we actually opened the dining room and I don't know if it was worse than previous or but when you open the dining room now you have servers built in you have bartenders built in serve assistants you have all of a sudden running a much bigger team and obviously a lot more cash flow going to payroll and a lot of things so it was it was it was a scary time it was a scary so time. you're when you opened how where did you source your team from how did you get this opening staff very good question I'm glad you asked that, actually. So I have a lot of team members at a pool. Everyone that worked for me had worked with me in the past summer. Yeah. Back to the power of a network. Yeah. Open power a restaurant of where you have roots, especially right now. Oh, yeah. Because it's 100%. not easy. Like, you're only going to get people who you know right yeah. now like if you're opening a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, I literally pulled my phone out and started going through number by number. I knew I needed to have a very good cocktail program. So one of the previous... Bartenders that worked with me, Francis Coligado, who's my beverage director. I was trying to pull him, and he, at the time he was actually working for Castellucci's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so this is why you were working in all those restaurants back in the day. You're, you're not to, really, no. I Francis know, I and I worked at Rumi's together, actually. But then he left and worked for Castellucci's. Gotcha. And, you know, it was a startup restaurant. None of these people believed in me. They didn't know what I was going to do. So it was very hard to pull people in. Yeah. Right? Because, again, such short period of time, opening a restaurant, not knowing a lot of things. And so <laughs> this is how I hired him as a beverage Welcome director. to the restaurant yeah. industry, everybody. Yeah, this is how I hired him as a beverage director. <laughs> I got business cards made for him yeah. with the word beverage director. I never told him what it was going to be. I told him, hey, just come. You remember how I told you I was always going to open a restaurant? Yeah. So this is happening in two weeks. Yeah. And I need a cocktail menu. Yeah. I need a cocktail menu. Yeah. And so I called him up and he came on board and it just takes him a picture of the business card. I was like, by the way, this is your title. And that was the, that was the spark that made him come, switch up and come on board. Then I had another connect to Kevin. Um, Kevin used to be, a, he was a prime wine rep, prime wine and spirits. So I had Kevin, I was like, Kevin, I'm opening a restaurant. I'm not that great in wine. So he designed my wine list for me. So all those little things came up, came around and just, uh, Put all the pieces together and we had a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so the big things I've been sitting on up to this point, and I don't want, I hate, I hate dragon names. No, you're good. Through mud. But like the biggest lessons I've learned doing the show is that you're only as good as the people you surround yourself 100%. with. 100%. And um, people are going to go on and do their own thing. 100%. There's nothing you can do to stop people from growing. That's what we need. It's a human need to grow. Oh, yeah. We need 100%. to progress. We need to, we need to have that, that 
sense of autonomy and personal growth. And there's no person that can get in the way with that. I know you, they're offering you growth within the previous you – know, I, I don't yeah, want to yeah. keep on saying the name because I don't like dragging no, you're names for them. But through roomies, they're offering you opportunity for growth. Uh-huh. You said no thank you. But in all the people that I've talked to who are the leaders of this market, they know that it's not about them. It's about everybody else but them. And you know what? You're going to go do your own thing. I can either help you do your own thing or – give you my blessing and say how can i help you hundred percent thing yeah and did, did it ever like was that ever part of the narrative like did you tell him that you want to go open your own restaurant and oh he knew yeah yeah. and was did you he ever say 100%. do you want to be an investor do you want to come help me do my own thing uh no i never was, really asked it was him. too close too close of a concept it was too close but yeah. i also knew how he was yeah. it was very control freak yeah i was like and you I wanted knew that if autonomy I, yeah, yeah yeah i wanted autonomy i was like i want to create my own yeah um, but I mean, and I hate to, but this is kind of, uh, and I hope this interview doesn't come back no, to bite you. You know what I'm saying? But hopefully, like, I won't get a lawsuit. And literally, we'll find <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but it's just a good example of like uh, this is this is karma. Yeah, you know, like it comes back around. You don't know on what form, what, but you know, like people talk. Yeah, you know, and and the industry is so small. And the industry is so, so small. small, and you have to accept that it's not about you. Uh, it's about how can I make? What, where are you trying to go? What what are you? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? How can I help you get there? And if 100%. you have that mentality, things just start to happen for you. Things come back. People remember you. The the universe pays attention to this shit. Hundred um, percent. And I don't know. I think it's just a, a perfect example of what happens. It's a good because we have so many stories. I just interviewed like Ford Fry, for example. Yeah. Like this was what this, the backbone of his conversations about creating opportunity for other people. And guess That's where it. he is? That's it. Like, you know, like I don't want to call him the king of, of Atlanta, but a lot of people look up to him in this, in oh, this yeah. market. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so just th- th- it's a perfect case by case scenario right there. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, so, when did you like? How long? Because at this point, you're not ma- you haven't made a single penny off your restaurant. At no. this point, you're only no. in debt. You, yeah. How much credit card debt were you in? Does, do you mind sharing? Just to give some I was kind of full. I was. I think. I think I had to run like ninety five, ninety four thousand wow. credit card debts. That's like yeah. that's, that's like a college loan. That's a school loan, right? Oh there. yeah, school, and you know this is debt. this is a funny thing with credit card. That people don't understand. Like when you max out a credit card and your credit score goes down, you can't they pull back your credit limit. Oh, limit. Yeah, so you all of a sudden more over than what you were and you just keep oh you're only going down yeah from there so there's no going up i mean here we are a year later like yeah. just over a year later like yeah. what there was about two years well, yeah, we talked about 2020 yeah. oh that's right 2020 yeah. um thank you so not quite about a year and a half right because it was oh, no a little no, over two years a little right. over two years yeah, yeah. thank you uh I can't the time, future comes fast um so a little over two years you go from being ninety thousand dollars in debt having going from two business partners to one business partner um, all the things that you share with us, the, the, the challenges you're having. When does the new? When does the story start turning and saying, "Holy oh, shit, nice!" Yeah, yeah. like so. The story we're, we're start, successful. No the story. We, like this, France is such a big part of my business. I'm also my but, girlfriend, who's a fiance now. Yeah, um, we opened the restaurant together. It's like so. I think it was like March. I want to say March of 2021. March of 2021 was when... So July you opened. July, July August, September, October, November, 
January, February, March. So we're talking eight months in. Yeah. So you want, you're operating in the red for eight months. Yeah, just getting by. Literally yeah. just getting by yeah. as best as we can. The economy wasn't helping. The, the economy you know, was like, definitely not helping. It's hard to make money when you can only operate at half capacity. Oh, yeah. I don't know what, the, the, yeah. what was going on in Atlanta. So but. Atlanta was a little different, right? Yeah. Atlanta was kind of like, oh, you do whatever you want at some point. At yeah. some point, it got to that. I can't remember when it was, but at some point, it got that. But we really didn't. We didn't really didn't do that great until around March of 2021. I remember it was one night that we just somehow almost a year. yeah, almost like a Tuesday night or something. We somehow doubled up our sales, and me and Francis, some beverage director, was also running the bar all the yeah. time. We looked at each other. It was like I think we made it. Mm. It was like I think we made it. We got our ass kicked that night. Yeah, and from there it just kept going up. Yeah, it just kept going up. What was it about what you were doing, reflecting at your success? I mean, to, to give some perspective, the year now, so you opened in, in 20, uh, July, opened July 2020, yeah. uh, a little over two years. Uh, you're now in the process of opening two more Belmars, and you have BBs that we're sitting in right yeah. now that's about to open in a couple of weeks. So Correct. you're going to have a total of four locations, one to four in two years. I would call that, and I'm assuming you must Almost be profitable years, because yeah. somebody's giving you more money saying, okay, I'll invest because this is working, right? Yeah. So actually all of this that you see is all from that one restaurant. So you didn't get investment for the open this. All the money that you're using to open these restaurants is from profit from the first restaurant. Well done, sir. We put it all into it. This Everything is, we so built, we we're put finally it. getting to the success part of the story. <laughs> uh, and, but it's, it's, it's the, the, the Inspire, empower, transform is the, the mission statement. And so many people tell me, like, I love listening to your show because I'm in it right now. And I don't see an end. And I'm worried that I won't be able to make it. But we hear these stories and we know it's possible. And we get these little bits of inspiration plus the empowerment of the knowledge of what made you, what you know to be true about your success. So get into that. What, what do you know to be? What is the empowerment part of the story? What do you know about what you did that has made you successful? So you remember we talked we touched base on a thing that was off the radio, but thinking outside the box, right? Mm. The biggest thing was just going outside the box, trying to create something new. So for when it comes to Persian food and like our genre of food in general, uh, it was always either mom and pop restaurants or high end like Rumi's restaurant, right? Nobody had tapped into the like the trying to cater it toward the younger hip generation that is more like fun. Yeah. So that's the well, you're th- a young guy. How old are you? 30? Yeah, I'm 33. 33, yeah. yeah. And this is two years, so it's 31. Yeah, so this yeah. is the aspect that we brought into it. I was like, okay, I want to do everything different from start to finish. Like when I was writing the menu, I was like, okay, first of all, we're going to cook on charcoal because this is how we cook on back home. This is how food tastes best. We're going to cook on charcoal. No question asked. We're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. And from there, it's like find different fabricators that can make a charcoal grill for us. That's how we end up. Yeah. Meeting Grills by Demand. Yeah, we're, we're talking to Grills by Demand yeah. tomorrow. I don't know how the hell I'm going to tackle that interview. I'm not used to talking <laughs> to, to grill designers, uh, entrepreneurs, but I'm sure yeah. there's some lessons there. No, that's that's how it basically yeah. come. Okay, yeah. okay, we're going to do the other part was like doing the crispy rice, right? Yeah. We're like, we're going to serve every rice individually portioned with a tadig on it, which is very hard to do. So usually with the what on it? Tadig, that's the crispy layer on the bottom of the pot that we talked about. Oh, the, we talked the about it. Yeah, exactly. The it's crunch the that we talked pop, about. Same experience with the crunch where like it comes out and it's like the, that shell that yep. is like crunchy yep. and delicious. Like the I crunch of the that. paella kind of. Whenever kind I'm of cooking style. fried rice at the very end of my caster yep. and I just crank that part. heat 
Yeah. So in our culture, that was like, yeah. no, you're good. Yeah. In our culture, so that part is the delicacy, right? It's always reserved for the guest of honor, for elderly. That's like young kids like me never get it. Tastes like hospitality. Yeah, that's basically. Yeah. We're like, okay, every rice going to go like that. Then we're like, okay, every other Persian restaurant and Middle restaurant in the city focuses on these generic dishes. Like, it, like if you go to any restaurants in the U.S., you can call this five dishes and they'll be on the menu. You're like, we're not going to put these five dishes on the menu. We're going to take a different approach. We're going to go north of Iran. We're going to go south of Iran. We're going to go to borders. We're not going to go for generic food. We're going to try to bring to the table the food that people have not had. The food that people don't associate with Persian food yet. Yeah. So, how, so what is that? What's happening there? What is this called? I have a word in my mind, but I want to hear what you have to say. What is what called? The, this the whole process? I mean, what's going through my mind is uh, you're, I mean, around this time, two years ago, yeah. and I would say like the, the past like five, seven years, um, Middle Eastern food has really just, Whew, you know, gone crazy. Uh, there's a demand gone for it. Wild. The flavors are wild. The flavors yeah. are, it's, there's not a lot of other people doing it. It's juxtaposition, right? Yeah. But five or six years ago, you know, uh, you know, Middle Eastern food, I don't know what you would want to call it, Parisian, Parisian food. I don't know yeah. what you'd want to call it, but there wasn't a lot of people doing this so it was it was exciting it was sexy it was different it, it stood out exactly but now we're you know five years into this not after five years something it doesn't stay sexy for long you need to get a little transform bit more it. Yeah, yeah you gotta you go have to out transform a little it. Yeah, yeah yeah and that's what you did you didn't do the staples you did the things that most people don't know about exactly yeah you got outside so it was the like, box this is the way I explained to my staff it was like if the Persian person comes into this restaurant and wants to order that dish that's a dish we're not gonna have on the menu okay because we want to introduce them something new. And we want to build in more Middle Eastern flavors into it. Bring some Turkish, bring some Lebanese, bring some Israeli, Syrian, and build it into the menu. And we even named our restaurant Middle Eastern just to keep our uh, bases open to be able to be more creative. Yeah. The word I'm looking for is juxtapose. Juxtapose. I think, right? I think okay. that's the right way to say it. But like, like you don't want to do what everyone else is doing. You want a unique selling proposition. You exactly. don't want to be like every Middle Eastern. Yeah, you restaurant. want to create your own niche you in wanna, the market. Yeah, you want to stand yeah. out. You want to do things that are new 100%, and fresh, yeah. right? So do you think that's a big part of what made you guys successful? 100%, yeah. They started doing things very differently, designed the restaurant even differently. Mm-hmm. Like when it came to designing a restaurant, I was like, okay, we have to make people feel like they're being transported. We wanted to walk in this restaurant and feel like they're not in Atlanta anymore. And my way of doing it was to create a restaurant, the ambiance, the plaster, the china, the seating, all that, to make it feel like countrysides of Iran, where I spent all those summers going to rooftops, stealing dried fruits <laughs> from my grandma's stash, or drinking those, uh, eating those mozzarella cheeses out of the fridge. I was like, okay, I want to create that ambiance. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. It's very easy to create a very sexy, expensive, chic restaurant. Yeah. But how else can you create it? ambiance that people want to be in yeah usually i'm in the restaurant we're talking about while we're, we're <laughs> so i i can visualize what you're yeah, talking we're, about we're in the different restaurant but but um <laughs> we're in a construction site right now uh paint the picture of what belmar is like del the bar brand, the, yeah sorry thank you no you're good del, del, bar. Bar. <laughs> del bar thank you very much del bar um paint the picture of what del bar is and how it's unique as far as design goes so to me it's like i brought a lot of persian des- Persian characteristic into it like we have the paisley cushions that reminds me of Iran we have the clay plastic walls which reminds me of the countryside where my grandma used to live which all the buildings were made out of clay right and we have the, the tan fabrics you have the mesh 
you have this ceramic like Moroccan tiles that look like you just cut them out of uh, some antique building and just put them in a place. Yeah. We play I'm on your black website, and white. Huh? You're good. Yeah. We play like black and white Persian movies in the bathroom. So you go to the bathroom, you have a little projector, you're watching a movie. And we use very random names for cocktails that make people laugh and make them smile and just bring it to the table. Your check gets dropped to you on a little postcard that's actually, that has like the scenery places from Iran on the back of it, like yeah. the antique castles uh, and. Okay. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. No, I'm, you're good. I'm you're, also on your website trying to see if I, can, if I can uh, find photos of what you're describing just to, to be able to visualize. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I love your website, by the Thank way. Thank you. Sorry, distractions. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. There's a lot of greenery. I'm big yeah. on greenery. Yeah. I love plants, and there's a lot of it in my restaurant. And uh, literally, somebody's side work daily is to wipe down every leaf on the plants. Like all those little aspects of what we did. We tried importing as much of things as we could from Iran to bring in like little more of the culture so what about business model would you say are you are a, tr- a, tr- a traditional restaurant business model where full service yeah you're yeah. full service are there things you're doing to uh increase your profitability as far as thinking outside the box creating new channels of revenue things like that we do we do a little bit so we're heavy on takeout we're now branching into catering okay um i wasn't doing it time because it was very hard to find the staff so we were just and our volume of business was so high that it was hard to manage it. Would you say you're f- more casual or fine? I think we're definitely more casual. Okay. You're a casual. 4.7 stars, 2,228 Google reviews. Well done, my friend. Thanks. That's you. not easy to do. <laughs> that's not. Yeah, that's. I. I. That's thing. I'll wake up and go to sleep on those reviews. Yeah, them. that's amazing. <laughs> so, what is it that you do to, to earn those types of reviews? What happens at your restaurant that doesn't happen at other restaurants? Let's say uh, I learned a lot of how to be detail-oriented. Okay. But also what I learned was empowering my staff. You can't just give me that answer of I know how to be detail-oriented. You no, gotta no, tell no, no. It's me. Like this. You got to tell me what detail looks like. Give me an example. Detail looks detail. like everything, every plate that comes to you looks the same, tastes the same every day. So consistency. Consistency is the biggest. Uh, to me, consistency is, I mean, for restaurant business, consistency is you know, make it or break it. Yeah. What, what about the subconscious? What about the things that people don't even notice that they notice that make a difference? You know what I'm saying? The little details that aren't meant to be noticed, but they oh, are. Oh, 100%. What yeah. are those things? I mean, there's a lot of them. Like, there are people notice the ambiance, the greenery, the staff that doesn't change. That's one of the biggest things, right? Relationships. I'm one of those people. Yeah, relationships. Like, I had a lot of people that followed me to the restaurant because I all used to always take care of them. And they're now... Regulars in my restaurant. What do you do for your staff that they never had done, been done for them before from a, a restaurant owner? It's iffy. It's, it's, it's very hard. I take care of them in many means possible. It's hard for you. It's hard to, to boast about how good you are to people. It's, yeah, it feels, that's it feels always the hardest that. thing. But yeah. first is like the biggest thing is respect. Mm-hmm. You lead by example. Yeah. But the, also the biggest thing is I'm, I try my best to never be an asshole to my staff. Mm-hmm. You know what it's you know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And there are times that I have to correct myself because I've been trained for so long to be the asshole guy. Yeah. When you catch yourself I, being the asshole, how do you how do you correct? Apologize first thing. Yeah. First thing comes apologize. Extreme ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Apologize because I've been throughout restaurant business. It's such a harsh business, right? Margins are tight. 
structure is tough. Your working hours are long. Your entire life is on a different format than everybody else. Yeah. You go to work when everybody's going home. Yeah. You're going home when everybody else is sleeping. You're sleeping when everybody's going to work. Yeah. You're entirely on a different cycle. You're, you're doing podcast interviews when everybody thinks you're probably off taking a, a break. Oh, yeah. You're just <laughs> dining somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, right here we are. You're only uh, a little over two years, like we mentioned, yeah. into ownership. Uh, most people at this, pay, at this point um, are still locked in their restaurants. They can't escape yeah. their restaurants yeah. at two points. What are you, what are you, is it just the, the volume, the cash? Like, um, no, 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 no. A lot of it is like a mentorship. Mentorship. So yeah. you're surrounding yourself with the right people. You surround yourself with the right people. But you also give them room to make errors. Mm. Like one of my favorite managers right now at the restaurant who is used to also bartend for me before in roomies, and he always wanted to be a manager, and I always told him, hey, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. Yeah. Right. Every day he asked me, he's like, hey, when are you going to train me? I'm like, you're getting trained every day yeah. by every know. mistake you make. Because yeah. the best thing for you to learn everything is by making the mistakes. Mm. Make the mistakes, and you'll learn it better. Mm-hmm. Share the mistakes, and we all learn from it. Yeah, That's the hardest. That's the biggest part. I'll you let just, him you be. Just, Nail the mission of my podcast. That's why I ask awkward questions all the time. <laughs> Tell me about the times you fell on your face. Because like, yeah. if you make mistakes, we all learn from it. And this, this platform is meant to amplify that, that, that school yeah, of thought. You know, share those, those mistakes with the next. Yeah. So sorry. But, um, and it's one of those things like yeah, a lot of people actually ask me that. It's like, hey, you're not in your restaurant a lot. Up to some point, I was there 24-7. Then I realized, okay, if I'm going to grow and if I'm going to expand, I have to pull back. Yeah. Have to let them run it, let them make the mistake, let them learn it. You don't want the success of that business to hit the hinge on your presence. Exactly. If you think they're going in there because of the relationships you have with the guests, then yeah. you're locked into that. But if you get out of the way early and let your team be what the relationships your team has yeah. with the guests, that's even better. Right? Yeah, which is awesome. Like the, my staff retention is amazing because of let them just. Be themselves. So, what is it about the space that makes you profitable? That you're able to to pay off your debts, not even being able to, to pay off ninety thousand dollars worth of credit card debt in two years to me is impressive. You know what I'm saying? Now you're also investing in three other buildouts at once. So, get into the economics of how to make money with a restaurant. Very good question. It all starts obviously with first what you're offering, because everything. I mean. It's a cash flow business, right? There's a lot you can do with the cash flow. Yeah. But pricing yourself, positioning yourself, offering yourself, offering something that is very hard to ignore, right? There's a lot of time people come up to me and it's like, oh, we love Del Bar. It's our favorite place because we always know exactly what to expect. Service is always on point. Food is always on point. Drinks are always on point. You have to... I have this... So when I started the restaurant, we started pricing ourselves a lot lower. This is the this is the biggest mistake restaurants make. Why? I don't know. One is, I think being scared of failure. Think, I think that's one of the biggest things. You think the the, the price is going to scare people away? Hundred percent. Why is that not right? Hundred percent. Because really, not like if you look at yourself, like consistency and expectation is what brings people back. How do you make some things consistent? Constantly being on top of, constantly tasting. Checking every ingredient. Like, it's very hard for me to get people to stay in my restaurant and work there and be successful as chefs, as people that come from outside. If you can't 
Finish the sentence. Ooh. It's hard to get people to stay in my restaurant and be consistent and create the consistency if you cannot do this for them. That's pretty set them off. Set up to success. What's that? Obviously, set them up to success. Pay them well. Pay them well. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's one aspect. Yeah, yeah. of course. So of you course. need to charge. I think people oh. don't understand. Like, if you want to attract you have to charge vote to pay well. Exactly. 100%. And if you pay well and you take care of your people, 100%. it's a cycle that keeps on coming. So oh, you yeah. pay people well. Uh, you, you, you get the best of the best. People, good people want to come work for you. Mm-hmm. You provide a better service. People come back. Now, they're making more money because you're getting repeat customers that keep coming back. They're bringing their friends. Yeah. It's a cycle that just keeps on feeding itself. 100%. But if you don't pay yourself, if you're not charging what you need to charge to do the job well, and people aren't making money, and you can't pay your bills, you and you're stressed out talents. every day, yeah. exactly. Like you, you, your cup needs to overflow. 100%. And if you don't set yourself up for success from the very beginning, and it all starts with charging what you're worth. Mm-hmm. That's think- that's actually very, very, very true. Because to me, that's one of the things, like, I like to think I pay people very well. Yeah. That's probably why I have a lot of people still working for me. That's but also a lot if you're of a busy people. restaurant, too, they yeah, have people get paid very well. Yeah, of yeah. course. So like, That's definitely a big part of it. Because in, in, in that industry, for the longest time, people have been underpaid. Yeah. And are unappreciated and overworked. Yeah. The quality of life is not really there. No. So one of our biggest things when we were opening a restaurant was like one, first, to offer that quality of life. Mm. Two, to give them what they're worth. Mm-hmm. Three, to make sure they have a future if yeah. they're with us. I love that. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Getting you a piece of the pie. Basically. I'm looking at the clock, dude. We're at an hour and 49 minutes of recording. Okay. It goes by yeah. so fast. Oh, and so I, fast. And I really love talking to you. Thank um, you. We do have to echo the mission statement. It's something I do every time at this point in the interview and it's to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So on this note of transformation, I want to know how have you personally transformed? Who are you today? Who's far as today versus far as when, you know, you, you, you first opened and it wasn't that long ago, only two and a half years yeah. ago, but like how have you transformed as an owner? Is I've learned how to let it go. For me personally, I've learned how to let go. Mm. I've learned at the beginning of it, I was very detail oriented. I was always screaming at every yeah. little thing that went wrong. Now I've learned to, I've looked back and look, I learned everything from my mistakes. Yeah. Can't fly let the mistakes you let go. Yeah. You just got to yeah. let it go. Yeah. You got to let it go. So on that note, transformation, uh, restaurant unstoppable, we're here to, you know, empower and, and inspire, but really it's also to transform the industry by by giving people like yourself a stage to stand on to get your message out to share your story to give an aiming point an expectation to the rest of the industry yeah. of this is what it can be this is what it should be like um how do you think the industry needs to transform what is the aiming point what is your expectation for yourself for your team for your restaurant the future of you and your success what is that aiming point and how can we all go there together as an industry Oh, as an industry, I think the the biggest thing is like understanding that you should appreciate your people. Yeah. One appreciation, quality of life, and paying the property. What's the best way to appreciate your people? Honestly, one way is to paying them yeah. properly. The other way is to just being grateful for having them. Yeah. You talk about thank quality, them every day for coming in. Quality of life. What what does that mean for you? How does that manifest in your restaurant? I've spent a lot of days in a restaurant where I worked five, six days a week, fourteen hours a day, and you, your life outside the restaurant does not exist. So how do you find that balance for your staff? For my staff, I, I'm making mandatory two days off a week, regardless yeah. of what the hell is going on in the restaurant. Yeah. You have to work this many hours. Like, 
we don't ask them to work more. We actually ask them to work less. Yeah. Actually, you reminded me of an interview I did. It was, it was in Pittsburgh. And um, they had this rule, and it's unheard of in the industry, that you cannot work more than 50 hours a week. And that sounds crazy. Like That sounds like a lot for most other industries. Like, but they have a hard stop at 50 hours. But what's amazing is when you limit people to that little, which doesn't, it's, it's overtime. It's more than full time, right? But when you limit people, what ends up happening is they become more productive. Because now you have less time to get things done, but you end up just hustling. And you have to get your job done in that a lot of time. But you become na- so much more efficient. Yeah. And now you have, you know normal people hours you know but th- that becomes that that work-life balance that time for you is so necessary yeah, yeah. this is the part that i try to teach everybody is like don't plan to be here 14 hours plan to be here 10 hours yeah 11 hours and figure out how to get everything done in those yeah. 10 or 11 hours but like that, that, that's how you become more efficient exactly that that's what kicks the frontal lobe into hyper gear when exactly. you try to figure out ways to be better and to improve system process far as i've loved this conversation man we Thanks, have sir. to take a break to thank our sponsors one more time we're gonna bust out a true speed round 10 questions <laughs> one word to one sentence will be wrapped up Woo. recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often restaurant systems pro if you've become interested i highly recommend you sign up for the restaurant system pro 60 day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60 day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, I don't need to explain to you that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. This is because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like... 
can I make a reservation? Or where are you located? Or what are your hours? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop menu answering picks up your phone call 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, your guests in-house. The time is now to prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about pop menus, full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We are back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Don't quit until the job is done. What is your biggest weakness? Ooh. Forget things a lot. Yeah, I can relate with that. I, I, Sam, will, can't, can't, Sam can't tell me how many times I forgot to lock a door while we're in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I, he can't hear me, but he'll, I'll tell him later. Uh What's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? From them or just in general? From oh, the, the answers you look. So when you're looking to grow your team, are you looking like what qualities you're looking for? What questions are you asking oh, to grow your team? The only thing I look for is personality. Okay. Uh, what do you do behind closed door? Uh, got it. What do you look for? Like yeah. a specific answer? Person- where do you want to be in your life? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, what is one of your biggest challenges today? One of my biggest challenges is the same thing I'm working on. It's hard for me to let go. Yeah. It's hard for me to let people just take care of a job for me rather than trying to do it myself. Yeah. How are you overcoming it? Give it away and <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> uh, share one code of conduct, a behavior, a core value, a way to be, a way to act that you share with your team. Honestly, I think this is the one that I said, the answer to the standard, not the position. Mm-hmm. It's always our go-to. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? A way to go above and beyond the standard within the four walls of your restaurant that has earned you 4.7 stars and 2,300 plus reviews. Well, what, are the, what are the things you're doing to get those types of reviews? Never say no. What is one book that's a must read to make a better person or restaurant owner? I think Danny Myers. Setting the table? Yeah, setting the table. Biggest lesson so. from that book? Ooh, expectations and how to manage them. What's one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? I think appreciating themselves and their staff. Yeah. We are always look, looking forward to where we want to be and what we want to accomplish and we forget to look at how far we've come. Yeah, we forget to look back and say in two years we made all this happen. Let's yeah. just pat ourselves on the back. I'll pat you on the back before we leave. Thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within the four walls of your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, or anything along those lines? ClickUp. What is ClickUp? Love ClickUp. What is it? It's a project managing software, but it could be a lot more. Okay. You can sync into your Slack. You can manage projects from it. Manage yourself from it. Like one of my, I mentioned her name, Meg. She was my bookkeeper, and now she's one of our executives. She manages me day-to-day because I'm 
sometimes very unorganized yeah. and I'm all over the place. I totally get that. From that checklist. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? Uh, what's your, so your favorite feature of ClickUp is the checklist? It's not necessarily a checklist. It's just manage of you putting all your thoughts in one place and managing from there. But other people know what you're working on, what yeah. you're doing, yeah. and this what is the progress huge. we've made. Just recently. It's crazy. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. We just recently interviewed Gino Wickman. I think the episode just went live as we're recording this. Um, but he he's the author of Traction. Uh, he His most recent book is like The Ten Disciplines. <clears throat> I can't remember the full title of the book. But um, he talks about living your, from a li- living your life from a list. And the importance of having a list. Anything you need to do goes on the list. And then from there, just prioritizing you know, urgency. And just if, if you commit to it, it goes on the list. It gets done. It's so powerful. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is the last question. Open your ears. It's a doozy. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Ooh. Honestly, the one. biggest one is expectation. One. Manage with expectation. I think you just gave us a really big one that's powerful. Which one? Lead by example or... Uh, the one. The two would be appreciate people around you. Two. These two shall pass. Three. This has been a lot of fun, Fars. Thank Thanks, you so sir. much. Uh, we can't say goodbye without having you call somebody out. Uh, that's how we found you. Uh-huh. The folks over at Bar- uh, Grills by DeMont called you out. Uh, Ann and Chris called you out. Uh, we haven't actually talked to them yet, but they. I said, I'm going to ask you to call some people out. And since <laughs> you know, I'm, leave- I'm only going to be in Atlanta for a week, can you do it now? Uh, but anyway, who do you respect and admire? Uh, somebody that if you found out was a guest on the show, you'd be like, I want to listen to that. It's a tough one. One of the most realist people I know, her name is Soraya. Soraya. Who is also kind of one of my mentors. Okay. Where's she she has, at? She has a restaurant in John's Click called Hen Mother Cook House. I think that would be the first one I would mention. Soraya Hen's Mother Cook House? Yeah. Hen, Hen Mother Cook House. Like C-O-O-K Cook? Or yeah. K-O-O-K Cook? Like Cookie? No, like actual Cook Oh, Cook House. house. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Hen's Mother's Cook House. Yeah. Hen Mother Cook House. And how do you know her? I worked with her actually. Okay. I worked with her. We both worked at Rumi's once upon a time, and she opened her own breakfast restaurant, which I adore. Where is she? She's in Johns Creek. Where is that? Johns Creek is about so it's in Atlanta. Thirty minutes okay, away from here. Not technically not Atlanta, yes, yeah, but this area. Got yeah. It. Look out! Uh, so, so, say her name one more time from your first name. Soraya. Soraya, look out! I'm coming after you. I'd love <laughs> to get you on the show. Uh, and how can we connect with you? I know you're growing fast. You're look, yeah. probably looking to build your team. If yeah. we've enjoyed today's conversation, Lovely. listening to you, you, we're inspired by you. How can we connect to come maybe join your team or maybe just follow up and ask you some questions? Anytime you want, you have my phone number uh, or I, email. I have it, but if the oh, listeners. Oh, for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, they could message me on Instagram, throw me an email, any way they like. He's responsive yeah. on Instagram because that's how we responsive. got you. Yeah. And uh, what is your handle? Our handle is at the restaurant handle, Delbar ATL. Beautiful. Just one more time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, for being flexible, getting on the, the, the show last minute. <laughs> Thank made you for happen. Uh, And this is where I say there is no questioning. My man, you are unstoppable. Thank you, sir. Cheers. 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Fars Kargar. Man, what an inspiring story. Uh, loved making an example of you. Loved sharing your your grit and your tenacity to just, just keep showing up and to continue to learn and to set your goals and just to crush them, dude. And uh, two years into this, you pay back your debt and you're opening additional locations it's just a super inspiration uh well done and thank you for your time so if you guys are enjoying this podcast and you want more like it we need your support there's a ton of ways you can support the show one way that's a new way is you can take our survey if you head over to our instagram page right in our link tree there's a link for our survey we're trying to get listener demographic uh the more we know about our listeners uh the easier it is for us to find sponsors uh to convince them that we're a good investment and we thank you in advance you can also support our sponsors by using them we vet our sponsors we don't let anybody sponsor the show you can also use our affiliate links anytime there's a tool or service recommended on the show check out the links in the show notes uh you can Share this podcast with everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. And then lastly, we would love for you to come hang out over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. This is where we connect our listeners with the tools and services that are being recommended to us on the show. We're also connecting our listeners with our guests. And uh, one of the biggest lessons I've learned here at Restaurant Unstoppable is that you can't create a business that hinges on a person or yourself. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I made with the first rendition of Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Going to the future... The, the goal is going to be to just basically extend trust to key players who have been referred to me organically in almost a thousand interviews and to share my platform with them to stand and to share their knowledge. So once a week, every week, there's going to be at least one person available to answer your questions, to give you support, who's a pro. And we're also going to have peers in there. Sometimes you just need somebody to talk to somebody, somebody who can relate to you. We're going to have people in there uh we're gonna have whether it's ask a pro or ask a peer there to answer your questions and give you support and we're also going to be doing live demos and connecting with the tools and services being recommended on the show i'm super excited we're just getting started with this and um just come join and hang out and then lastly we can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible thank you to jared at sumadre podcast and sam over at savinsam.com you guys help make this possible that's it for today until next time peace out